Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's not often that we lead off with just straight news, but I feel like that's necessary on this Tuesday morning for a lot of people that you know went to sleep last night. Um, no information or no update on DeMar Hamlin. Um, who collapsed on the field last night in Cincinnati. Um, I think had a lot of people wondering, when would we get that update? And this from the Buffalo Bills, just before 2 a.m., I guess earlier this morning. DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field. He was transferred to UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. Again, that from the Buffalo Bills um, just prior to 2 a.m. Um, I believe other updates, uh, Bills players did head back to Orchard Park last night. Um, and, and for what it's worth, although I feel a little insensitive even saying it, Jake, uh, no update on when or if this game will resume. Yeah, and I think we're probably in a situation where you know, the human body truly is the last frontier in the fact that there are always the potential for, or there is always the potential for the unknown. Every person is different. Every reaction is different. Every recovery is different. And of course, at this point, anything regarding what exactly happened that led to Hamlin's collapse on the field and going into cardiac arrest. Um, is conjecture. You know, I, I can... There's only two areas where I can, and I, it, I certainly no one is turning to me or you to be like experts in this situation, I realize. But the the one area that I can maybe expand some light, I know that this sounds very elementary, but I do know this. When I was a kid and growing up and even into my young adulthood, perhaps, I always assumed that cardiac arrest meant having a heart attack. That guy's under cardiac arrest. That woman is suffering from cardiac arrest. Uh, cardiac arrest, from a medical standpoint, is the, is the process of the heart coming to a stop. Not under distress, not under attack, but rather coming to a stop and having to be revived. Um. In addition to that, I also, unfortunately, and I only say this for the sake of perspective. Sure. I have been, I did not suffer cardiac arrest. I I was very close, but I never actually suffered cardiac arrest. But I suffered a cardiac episode, obviously, with a myocardial infarction, which is a heart attack. Um, I have also been on the broadcast with the microphone for two sports incidents that had a fatality of a competitor. And so I, I, I felt, unfortunately, the worst as I was listening to, to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and also then when they were going to studio with Susie Colbert, Booger McFarland, who I thought was outstanding, and Adam Schefter. I, I know what that's like because you... Now, in in the cases where I, the broadcast that I was on, in one of them in particular, 
we had been made aware that that it was a fatality and we had to broadcast for a while knowing that until we waited for the league to make that official announcement and that was extremely challenging obviously i say that only because you can kind of read the temperate of the broadcast and for that reason i was very fearful last night because it felt to me and that was not the case we, we now know but it felt to me like the, there was that potential and it was you know it kind of takes you back into that moment I, I think um in looking at all of this kevin what i keep seeing going back to and there are probably two things that will be we will hear a lot about over the next couple of days and we certainly hope by the way that hamlin makes it out but i think now what we can say is that it is safe to say that they resuscitated his heartbeat and that he is probably in a medically induced coma and my assumption would be that that is to do tests to evaluate different areas of his body notably his neurological strength or wavelength depending on how long his brain was deprived of oxygen because the blood the body and the heart was not getting oxygen to the brain but there is a and obviously i'm not a doctor but it seems as though doctors around the country and things that i've seen are talking about a very rare condition called uh and if i'm pronouncing it correctly um, commotio cordis or commodio i think it's commodio cordis or commotio cordis but that is for lack of a for, to put it in simple terms when your heart beats it obviously pulls itself back like to, to get ready for the big launch of blood if you will then it pushes out to send blood out across the body and then it retreats itself to get ready for the next beat and it, when it does that when it pushes all the way back there is a one one millionth of a second where it is not in motion where it is it pulls all the way back and it takes a deep breath before it starts it all over again if there is a trauma boom that hits it right in that moment it prohibits the heart from continuing its motion and by all account it appears as though they believe that may have been what happened but that's conjecture we won't obviously specifically know the other is that he could have or could have had some sort of a, a heart defect like Hank Gathers had, like John Stewart of Lawrence North had. But we won't know that either, and one would believe in today's medical advances, especially through the NFL Combine and other such things, that would have been seen ahead of time. And and that would seem to reduce the possibility of that. <clears throat> either way, Kevin, all of it focuses then on simply the health of the young man in Buffalo, who by all account is... Uh, a fine gregarious young player none of that is relevant towards simply wanting him to survive but um and then the secondary conversation becomes what happens with the game itself because obviously it was an important game within the afc that obviously takes a back seat and there was a ton going on in the world of sports last night yeah and before we get into that jake i do want to add a little bit more about demar hamlin um i'll echo what you said i thought espn handled it extremely well last night um, I'll throw in two more names. I thought Lisa Salters on site was tremendous in the balance of emotion and just concrete information and painting a picture for us behind the scenes. And I thought Ryan Clark and Scott Van Pelt after the game were 
Um, very, very impressive. And I'm probably speaking a little bit more from a journalism hat, so I apologize for that. But that that really stood out to me um, in explaining, you know, in Ryan Clark's case, you know, he, he's been through a lot as an NFL player and as a human. I thought they handled it really well. As far as Hamlin, uh, 24 years old, um, this is his second season in the NFL. This is a guy that, you know, in reading up on him a little bit more last night, extremely close with his family. Um, he grew up about 10 minutes from the Pittsburgh University of Pittsburgh campus. Um, he decided to stay home uh, for college, a big reason why. Um, he pointed to a couple things. He had a younger brother um, that I think was like not even elementary age yet that he wanted to be close with. And that was a big reason why he stayed at home. His mother uh, had him at the age of 16, and so he wanted to remain close to her and his father as well. And he he had a quote that I came across last night on being a role model that I thought was just a great, great quote. Um, And I'll read it here. He said, everyone's situation is different, but at the end of the day, this way of life right here is going to have you more successful than a lot of other paths. And it's shown. If you stay straight on this path and you just use your resources and connect with the right people, you'll be successful and you'll turn out okay and it will all be okay for you. Um, I retweeted it last night. I I know it's gained tons and tons of traction. Um, But Damar Hamlin's foundation, the Chasing M's Foundation, uh, they did a toy drive following his senior season at Pittsburgh. Uh, his goal was to raise around, I think it was $2,500 originally. I saw last night it was north of $3 million. Uh, the toy drive was close to DeMar Hamlin in that uh, his mom uh, runs a daycare in the Pittsburgh area. Um, so Kelly and Nina's daycare. Um, I, I thought that was a pretty cool story. And again, by all accounts, seems like a really, really good individual and the other thing I was thinking about last night is just what Monday night football means to players in the NFL. I mean, it is a huge deal to be on that stage. His mom was obviously at the game last night. All of those things, all the eyes on me. I mean, he's probably thinking to himself before the game started, I'm a young player playing the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to throw the ball a whole lot tonight. I'm going to get a ton of playing time. All of that. Um, you know, you brought up John Stewart, Jake. I certainly thought about that last night. You know, I thought about Dan Weldon. Um, so all of those things um, running through my mind. We'll continue to keep you updated on the situation. Um, and, and I guess uh, I will add this. I find myself very torn at times watching injuries happen in the NFL. And I honestly felt this way about Nick Foles on Sunday, Jake. I think, and I don't know, maybe I'm totally wrong on this. I think a lot of the reason why you didn't see maybe Ryan Kelly or Quentin Nelson or those guys react to Kayvon Thibodeau in the moment is because Quentin Nelson, or excuse me, Nick Foles was like convulsing on the field. I think there was a shock of, oh my gosh, what is happening to Nick Foles? I at least felt that watching it, and I got this very queasy feeling, and maybe the Tua Tungaviola situation earlier in the year has led to more of this, but... When you see these guys go down, and you know, obviously last night the ambulance comes on the field, and it's a whole different situation. It almost seems like we're just waiting for the thumbs up, and then we can move on. Yeah, because how many times have we seen when 
you know, the cart comes out, and then, yeah, you said the thumbs up. I mean, you know, and everybody now. cheers, and everybody goes over and pats the board, and, yeah. you know, somebody sticks their head in the, amb- yeah, not the ambulance, but the golf cart or w- wherever or on the stretcher, and you move on. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, obviously a horrific scene. Um, we'll continue to keep you updated on that front for those that missed it uh, to lead off the show. Again, this from the Buffalo Bills last night. Um, or I guess earlier this morning, around 2 a.m. Yeah. Uh, DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field. He was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. Um, Jake, before we move on, just briefly my thoughts. I don't think the game should resume at all. Um, if you really are into this logistics of the NFL season and playoff implicate, these two teams are in the playoffs. It's a short week. Buffalo Bills went home last night. This game, in my opinion, does not need to be resumed. You can figure out the playoff order for Buffalo and Cincinnati. Um, these guys saw up close to a member of their football family, which, honestly, they probably spend more time with DeMar Hamlin than, than they do their own family over the last few months. Um, just the, tr- the, the, the trauma of seeing that. In my opinion, the game doesn't need to be played. Here would be my idea on that. And I don't know this, so I apologize. Um, were that were those two teams playing for seeding? I, I, I do think there was some seeding involved in it. Okay. Um, so that would be your, again, your playoff implication then sort here's of what thing. what I would say. Let me just throw this out there. I, I just thought of this literally in the moment. Right? I thought a tie, frankly. Okay. So you, you put both of them. Pittsburgh, if if that game is the difference between one being a one seed and one being a two seed, although Kansas City's what is Kansas City the one? Uh, so basically, what yeah. I'm getting at is this: if if that game becomes the difference in which of the two would host a playoff game, which is pretty critical, right? Then what you do is you call the game as suspended. You head into the playoffs as if those two played a 16-week schedule. And if the situation presents itself where Pittsburgh and Buffalo face one another in the playoffs, you settle the home field issue by having the two of them play halfway between the two in Pittsburgh, which is the hometown of Hamlin, with part of the proceeds going to his charity. Cincinnati and Buffalo playing each other in Pittsburgh? Correct. If they were to play each other in the postseason, Hmm. because if you played it in Cincinnati... It's advantage Cincinnati, and you don't know what could have happened last night. If you played in Buffalo, it's advantage Buffalo. So if you were to take that game as a as a wash, then you say, okay, they are tied in the in the play. If I'm saying if their playoff seeding turns out that they are on the same playing field and that that game was supposed to be the deciding factor of who would be a home field advantage, you just played halfway between the two cities, which happens to be his hometown. That's the way I would do it. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's that sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, the, the other person that I thought of last night was T. Higgins, and I know that the hit oh, itself man. was not, you know, it was Demar Hamlin making a tackle on T. Higgins, uh, but him walking out of the stadium with his mom was quite the scene. I thought back to when we have had Sage Karam, Jake, on our show, and for those unfamiliar, Sage Karam um, involved in the crash, Pocono, correct? Correct. That took. Um, 
took the life of Justin Wilson. And just that, I mean, again, when you start to think about the players involved and all of this, and now it's a short week, give both teams a tie and move on to the final week of the season. Uh, he is currently, speaking of Hamlin, as of 7.15 this morning, he is currently listed as being sedated and in critical condition. So we will keep that updated uh, throughout the course of the morning. We had said, and obviously everything becomes put in perspective and pales, obviously, that goes without saying, but there were sports played yesterday. Uh, we had talked about, what was it, a month ago or so, when we said that might be the greatest weekend in Purdue sports-like history, where they had, you know, their basketball team defeated Gonzaga, and I think it was Duke, the football team got a big win and put themselves in contention for the Big Ten West. Uh, yesterday might have been the opposite. Rough bowl game, and then obviously last night, Rutgers. I did look this up. I didn't tweet it last night because by the, literally that game ended right about the time of the Hamlin news, and, and you know everything kind of took a back seat. But uh, Indiana was the last number one team in the Big Ten to be ranked number one in back-to-back seasons. In 1975, Indiana's number one ranking was ended by Kentucky they then went undefeated in 76 in 1977 they started the year ranked number five so they just attrition cost them their number one ranking their first loss after that was against Toledo and then the next game they lost to Kentucky again Purdue uh, for the second year in a row ranked number one in the country and for the second year in a row it was Rutgers that upended them you know Rutgers gets it to look like a football game they, they did do. that to Indiana back in December. That's kind of their M.O., and they did that again last night. Zach Eady in early foul trouble got that one, I think, like 30 seconds into the game, got another one kind of midway through the first half. And you watch Purdue offensively without him on the floor, and it is a struggle. It's a struggle to handle the basketball, which is a bit surprising to me. Um, and then shooting from the perimeter continues to be a lot bigger of an issue than I think we've maybe acknowledged, just considering they continue to win. And obviously the competition hasn't been the same over the past few weeks. Uh, but, you know, they really struggled at Nebraska, of course, and kind of survived that one. And then last night, um, you know, to be, what, under 40% from the field and 30% from three, I think they're under 70% from the foul line. To do that at home is pretty, pretty rare. I just feel like they need another guard or two to step up. I know Brandon Newman had some moments last night, but David Jenkins, a transfer for them, I think has really, really struggled. Um, I think it's important for you know him to step up because, again, Brain Smith and, and, and Fletcher Lawyer, they are still freshmen at the end of the day, and just the consistency to you know ride them for 30 games and 35 minutes a night is a lot to ask for. And you know, obviously, Lawyer hit a huge shot last night, looked like a potential game winner there for, for a second, but um, it is amazing just how much Zach Eady means to them. Like oh, You yeah, watched yeah. Eady on the floor in the second half, and Painter took him out for like a 90-second stretch there when he picked up his third. They run everything through him. I mean, either he's scoring or they throw the ball in there. Um, well, he's and now a this pretty is a, good... He's a pretty good low post passer. Too, he right? is. I, I mean, mean he's. Yeah. I was watching the second half last night, and and again, I know this is not the exact comparison. Like even when I thought it, I'm like, that's not right, Kevin. But it's a little bit like Demontis Sabonis for the Pacers, in that again, you throw it in there, and then he just kind of initiates everything with that first pass. You know, you always hear hockey assist. I actually, I think the, I think the three that lawyer hit came off of you throw it into Edie. Rutgers comes down on him, out to Braden Smith. Then Braden Smith makes the extra pass to Fletcher Lawyer for that three. Um, and now, Jake, I mean, you look at the week they've got. 
it's at Ohio State and at Penn State. At Ohio State Thursday, at Penn State on Sunday. Um, so welcome to life in the Big Ten where the scouting report is going to be exactly what you don't want to see. And in a team like Rutgers, they are not afraid to make it look really, really ugly. Kevin, the most expensive college in the United States of America is... Do you know the answer to that? Ooh, boy. Should I start looking it up for Max? That's what I'm... That's is what I'm that where you're with. going with that? Yes. Oh, wow. That's where I'm going with that. I thought you were going with like, oh, that's Tulane and they won a bowl game yesterday or something. No, but how about Tulane in the bowl game? But no, do you know the... This is a great trivia question. Do you know the... Boy, I, I do not. Is it an Ivy League school? It is not. It is a private school on the West Coast. Pepperdine. Incorrect. Uh, you'll never guess it. UC Santa Barbara. As of like... Two, these things probably fluctuate. Um... As of, I believe, 2022, so a year ago, the cost of attendance for Harvey Mudd College in California, uh, $84,896 per year. Is Harvey Mudd like a fictional character in a book I read back in the He was the offensive line coach for the Colts for years, and then he went to (laughs) California and started his own university. Uh, Harvey Mudd College, $84,896 per year. That is going to be within the window of affordability for the Bowen family because they are 70% of the way there, right? Nine to go, 21 and 17 after the win last night over the Raptors, 122, 114. Jake, that was one for the bench unit. Bench was outstanding last night. You know, it's kind of back and forth between that and the Purdue game. And then obviously, when the DeMar Hamlin hit took place, my focus kind of shifted there. But when I was watching the first quarter and the third quarter, I'm like, man, the starting unit for the Pacers is kind of going to run off the floor here by the Raptors. But Led by Benedict Matherin and TJ McConnell and Jalen Smith. Uh, the Pacers bench, incredible last night. Um, so again, a 4-0 and homestand. They are now at Philly coming up tomorrow night before they actually return home. And I know I mentioned it briefly yesterday, but Jake, just what a difference a year makes. You know, this time last year, the Pacers were saying, all right, we've got to admit that we're wrong and we've got to shift and we have no idea what that shift's going to look like and you know probably honestly at this time last year before the miles turner ankle injury right before the trade deadline the thought was probably you're going to trade turner and not sabonis and if you traded turner you wouldn't have gotten the return of tyrese halliburton and buddy healed and it's just amazing to think back on that and how that Turner ankle injury all of a sudden pushes probably Sabonis a little bit more into the trade light. I think once Halliburton, the thought was he was available, um, that obviously had the Pacers very, very interested. Uh, but a nice win last night, and I don't know if we're there yet, but what is it, 21-17? and 17? So what's that, 38? I mean, we're approaching the midway point of the season Last night was kind of one of those big games that if you look at the standings and playoffs and play-in situation, that was an important win for that, which, again, is just kind of crazy to say. I know we aren't at the midway point of the season, but I feel like we're nearing a little bit of this acknowledgement of like, wow, this team could really be in the playoffs or in the play-in. When the Pacers began assessing which player between Domas Sabonis and Miles Turner, they wanted to move. They did a pretty elaborate breakdown of film of what happened when one of the two of them left the floor and then returned into the game in terms of percentage of times that the first like two or three plays 
then went back to the player returning. And what they determined was Domas Simonis, who's a fine player, and I think they thought the world of, but they noticed that offensively when ter- when Sabonis was on the floor, he the ball magnetized towards him, and it that was the focus. Everyone's focus was getting the ball into Sabonis with a high frequency. When Turner would come back into the game, there was more offensive flow of rotation of basketball amongst the other four on the floor, and the Pacers felt like knowing that they had the possibility of a young team with multiple exterior scores that Turner better allowed them to facilitate for their offensive team to be more diverse. And that's why they opted for Turner versus Sabonis. Uh, Benedict Mather and Jake, 21 points last night. I've said this before about Mather, and I just think it's truly impressive how from one game to the next, nothing seems to impact him. And yet, the games that he circles on the calendar, his level of play rises. That was a big one for him last night. He's a Canadian. Um, Christian Coloco, his college teammate, plays for the Raptors. They're very close. Um, he mentioned after the game how he, you know, pretty much the Raptors is who he watched growing up in Montreal. And for him to have had the game that he had last night, 21 points off the bench and without very him. Very efficient 21. Yeah, very efficient yeah. 21. Without him, the Pacers certainly lose that game. Um, this is similar to what he did when they faced LeBron and the Lakers or they faced Golden State or their first game, I think, at Brooklyn earlier in the year. That's something that when you're talking about potential star, that stuff really stands out to me. You know, I think that's why a lot of people are enamored with what C.J. Stroud did on Saturday night. How do you look like when the moment is the biggest? And obviously, these are still regular season NBA games. But for Benedict Matherin, these games mean more. And he was huge last night for Indiana. So again, off to Philly coming up tomorrow night. That Joel Embiid-Miles Turner matchup, we did not see that earlier in the year. Turner was out in the first matchup. So that'll be something to keep an eye on tomorrow night. Again, we'll continue to keep you updated um, and share any information um, that is put out there. The latest on Damar Hamlin from earlier this morning, around 1.40 a.m. This is from the Buffalo Bills. Damar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored in the field. He was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. The Buffalo Bills did travel home last night to Orchard Park. Um, and again, I, I share this information purely as a news source, not because I think it's the most relevant or pertinent thing at this hour of the morning, uh, but no update on a resumption or even permanent cancellation of the Bills and Bengals game from last night. Uh, it is a very warm and unseasonably warm, I should say, a Tuesday morning here in Indianapolis. Certainly not as foggy as it was yesterday. Yeah, Ke- what would be. Right, exactly. Uh, Kevin Bowen, Jake Quay, Mark Dykton, 93.5, The Fan. We will continue to assess the situation as it stands with the condition of DeMar Hamlin, the young player for the Buffalo Bills who was injured last night in Cincinnati, again at 1.48 a.m. this morning. The Buffalo Bills issued the final, uh, the following statement, quote, DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in the Buffalo Bills game versus the Cincinnati Bengals. 
His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition, end quote. Obviously, it is not our job as non-medical professionals to speculate as to what that condition may be or as to what led to the decision to put him in a medically induced coma, for lack of a better phrase, but simply to focus on the positive, which would be that his heartbeat was restored on the field. And we shall see, first and foremost, with fingers crossed, what that means in terms of his potential improvement, and then secondly, and much secondarily, what it means regarding the status of the game itself and whether or not it is one that they will still play through on the schedule between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals. But that's the latest on the situation from last night in Cincinnati. And obviously we'll pass on any further updates we get not only today um, on the show but throughout uh, the entire afternoon with our other shows as well. Over Gamebridge Field as last night, the Pacers beat the Raptors 122-114. Benedict Matherin led an outstanding performance from the bench last night, 54-7 in bench points. Matherin at 21, TJ McConnell at 15, Jalen Smith had 11 and 11. It's probably something to keep an eye on, Jake, but it almost seems like Isaiah Jackson and Goga Batadze, any minutes they were getting earlier in the year, those have kind of evaporated. And Jalen Smith has almost turned into this backup center, and the Pacers just put like four guards around either Miles Turner or Jalen Smith. Yeah, they. what I've said, Kevin, that's most impressive about this young group to me is that they are learning of different ways to use different combinations. And seemingly every game, Kevin, a different guy or two shows it's their moment to show that they, when the focus is on them, can can do what's called, right? They beat the Hawks, Clippers, Cavs, and Raptors on this homestand. Again, 21-17 and 17 on the year. Last night in Mackey, Purdue suffers their first loss of the season to Rutgers, 65-64. Um, it was really some great theater in the final minute or so with Fletcher Lawyer hitting a three on one end, and then Rutgers coming back, uh, hitting another three to take the lead. Uh, Purdue got a great look from Brandon Newman um, for what would have been the game winner, uh, but it did not go, and again, Purdue suffers their first loss of the season. Here was Matt Painter afterwards on the defeat. For us, it was those empty possessions when, you know, we had some perimeter shots in the first half that I just thought was us in terms of, you know, taking tough perimeter shots. You know, we got to be able to, you know, have some discipline and probe the defense more when things aren't there and uh, move the ball a little bit more. But the thing that jumps out for me are are the the turnovers. You know, I, I thought we just had some unforced errors there and they're a tough team and they fight and they make it tough for you to throw it inside they make it tough for you to catch the ball but it's not impossible and uh, we just had to show more resolve but you know at the end of the day I just thought that Rutgers was you know mentally and physically tougher than we were they certainly made plays down the stretch that leaves one unbeaten left in college basketball New Mexico who plays tonight it's disappointing I know for Purdue fans to lose the number one ranking, presumably, although they could keep it, I guess, if they come back and win two in a row here in the Big Ten. But um, you knew you were going to lose eventually, to be honest with you. And kudos to Rutgers, who played well down the stretch and made big plays. Also in college basketball last night, Wright State 82-68 over IUP. Brian Kelly's family 
Brian Kelly's family very happy um, last night. 63-7 to LSU over Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, ugly, to say the least. Uh, nothing like a 99-yard interception return with like a minute to go in the game. Just put the chair on top. You know, I, watching that, Jake, and I, I feel like I said this you know weeks ago when Purdue started having the op- opt-outs in the bowl game. It's just such a bummer that college football has now turned into this. Instead of the celebration of this Big Ten team playing an SEC, SEC team in the Citrus Bowl, it's now turned into just a glorified spring game. Yeah. And that's what it was for Purdue with how many guys they were missing and how many important guys they were missing in that game. Um, again, obviously zero impact on the Ryan Walters era, but uh, an ugly end to Purdue's season. Um, on the Colts front from yesterday, Sam Ellinger will be the starter coming up in 1 o'clock, by the way. That was announced yesterday. The NFL announced the kickoff times for Week 18. It'll be a 1 o'clock kick between the Colts and the Texans, and it will be Sam Ellinger starting and Matt Ryan as the backup in Week If you're Matt Ryan, are you literally not just like, okay, so what is it this week? Am I back to being the franchise now, or am I holding? Do I have to wear a sweatshirt, pads? What are are we doing here? Quite the game of musical chairs, right? In the Colts quarterback room this season. Yeah. What a dumpster. They could do a Melon Camp song to that maybe during the game. That could be the halftime show. What a dumpster on Sunday. Uh, I mean, Zach Kiefer had a thing where it was like, I think there's been seven different rotations of the three at quarterback of what order everybody's been in one through three. You don't often see three quarterbacks start multiple games in a season for an NFL team. How about this? That's pretty rare. Uh, And that's what the Colts will have happen this season. I mentioned this last night with JMV, and I'll give credit. Derek Schultz is the one that came up with this stat. I did not. But do you realize, Kevin, that if the Jacksonville Jaguars win on Saturday, that will mean that all three AFC South teams will have done something that Indianapolis has not since the Colts last won the division. See if you can figure out what it is because it's a little more elaborate than you think, and I'll tell you on the other side. Sound good? Kevin and Corey on a two. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin, if the Jacksonville Jaguars were to defeat the Tennessee Titans this weekend, then what will have taken place with every AFC team, every, excuse me, every AFC South team, since the Colts' last divisional championship, so that was 2014. Yep. Um, I know every AFC South team has won a division title since okay. the Colts last did, and I know every AFC South team has gone further in the playoffs or won more playoff games, however you want to put it, since the Colts last did. Would it be multiple? Would Jacksonville fall into that boat? Multiple AFC Souths? Every team in the AFC South will have won two. AFC South championships since Indianapolis last won one. Now, that can't settle well with Jim Irsay, right? No, you would think not, um, especially with how vocal he has been in off-seasons about this division. And again, you're talking about the AFC South. You're not talking about the SEC. Correct. Or, you know, insert whatever division you feel like is elite in the NFL. 
Um, yeah, that'll be Saturday night again. Titans and Jags. The Sunday night game will be Packers and Lions. That was announced yesterday. Um, Packers win and they are in. Um, I, I think that's kind of fitting. Lambo Sunday night final game of the regular season. Um, again, for those that Packers missed it and are just now joining us, uh, the latest from Demar Hamlin. This update um, from the Bills just before 2 a.m. DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field. He was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. Jake, I think it's... Again, I thought ESPN handled things really, really well last night in just giving us the information that, unfortunately... Well, I guess, you know, fortunately or not, um, that was available to us at the time... Um, but I did want to know a little bit more about Hamlin. You know, who who right. who, who is he? Um, so I read up a little bit on him last night. Um, his father uh, went to jail for three and a half years of Hamlin's kind of teenage years. Um, and I thought this quote was really moving from Hamlin, um, saying that that stripped the imagination of a kid. It's when my outlook on life changed. I had to take reality for reality and couldn't be a kid anymore. It was just me and my mom now trying to survive. I had to grow up really fast and instilled a toughness in me, that mental toughness. It built that work ethic in me. Just that time with not having my dad around, I had to be a man. It changed my life. Um, It just seems like a very mature individual. Um, Again, we mentioned a little bit earlier, starting a foundation that the GoFundMe account is, I think has been... Um, pretty rampant around Twitter. It's now north of $3 million raised for toys and, and kind of a kid drive that he had. His mom worked at a daycare in the Pittsburgh area, um, stayed at home for college, grew up 10 minutes from the Pittsburgh campus. And, you know, from the scene last night of his mom and him on the field pregame, like those those games, Jake, Monday Night Football, that means more to these guys. I mean, they they get that every, all the eyes are watching, right? And they're mm-hmm. the, they, you know they are the only game in town is the phrase that you hear quite often. Um, so again, we'll continue to keep you updated on uh, anything we hear on the Demar Hamlin front. The um, and, and again, kind of to reiterate what we mentioned earlier, and I know that I, I don't know, I, you know, Kevin. It's interesting to me because in these situations. It's a very delicate balance because under no stretch of the imagination should anybody in our position be arrogant enough to think that people are turning on to hear what we have to say about such a situation. But at the same time, they are turning on to hear if we have anything to pass along that has been sent to us regarding said situation. I don't know that there is ever... A right or wrong way to handle it i thought espn to your point did it very well i thought they made a smart decision of shifting from and part of it might have just been the time of day but away from the studio that had adam schefter nothing against adam schefter at all but he is programmed to break news and tell news and i think he started to dip a little f- too far into maybe the conjecture area. I thought him and Booger did a nice job. The, Booger McFarland did a really good job. Thrown into a very awkward situation. They did, but you could tell that that Adam Schefter was, and again, and it's I, his and job. And I, I'm not a Schefter fan, by the way. It's Schefter's job to to always be in front of a story, and, and it felt like he was maybe starting to go that way, and that's when they shifted 
to Scott Van Pelt, and they brought in Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Um, and Ryan Clark was outstanding. Ryan Clark was very, very good. Again, to mention what I did earlier, um, you know, I have been on two different sp- live sporting event broadcasts that where a participant was fatally injured. And in one of them, we knew, and I can't recall the amount of time between when we were informed that there was a fatality while we awaited for the league to officially announce there was a fatality. But I want to say it was like, say, some 12 or 15 minutes. And in that moment, you you kind of just step out of the box and you're like, look, I have my job is to relay information not to opine on it, not to accentuate it, not to speculate on it, but rather to just relay information as it has passed. And you do that to the very best of your ability. I thought they did that last night. Certainly those are all very professional people. Um, Selfishly speaking, Kevin, I'll just go there. Um, I think I have an equal removal in watching someone who is going through a cardiac distress. And truth be told, when I was watching it, um, it was difficult for me. I don't mean difficult emotionally. Like it, it's very surreal to me to realize that that was that I was in that situation. Now I never had cardiac arrest. I didn't know, quite frankly until October of 2020, and I'm going to sound like the biggest fool in the world, which is why I had to get a tutor to pass Algebra A100, right, at the age of 50. I I did not know that cardiac arrest is actually the term for when your heart completely stops. I always thought cardiac arrest simply, like you see someone having a heart attack, you're like, he's having cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. Cardiac arrest is the process of where your heart ceases beating. I never had that. My heart was, I still had a heartbeat, but they could tell in my heart that I had a 100% blockage which had shut down two of the four chambers of my heart. And the other two were taking turns. They were playing rock, paper, scissors on which one was going to be number three, right? And so I didn't have that. But it, so it, it was, there was a dichotomy of emotion in watching it, not to, but I think that everybody can relate to that. I think that everybody in some way, shape, or form when they're watching it, it just is very surreal, right? And you're you're watching it and you're thinking, wait a minute, uh, did I just see a, a young man lose his life? Fortunately, we did not. He is in critical condition and in a medically induced sedation. And my, my assumption would be, dangerous I realize, that that is to do testing probably primarily to check out neurologically where he is. But we simply hope the best at this point. And there's not much else you can do, unfortunately. You know, I don't know the uh, chain of command, I guess, and how the announcement was made to Joe Buck in the press box last night about the resumption of play happening in five minutes. Um, I know that got a lot of play on social media. Um, and again, how does that get to Buck? Is that someone, is that the extra official on the sideline saying this is how we typically... You know, this is the protocol for when guys get carted off the field or got, you know, if there is a situation like this. So I don't know exactly how all of that played out. The NFL had a conference call last night around midnight, and Troy Vincent 
um, who's very high up in the league office, made it very clear that that was never announced from the league that a resumption of play would be occurring in five minutes. Based off their actions, it seemed like Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor had their player player's interest to the nth degree. You, you, I, I thought you had that both scene of them. that where Taylor walks across the field, Correct. and again, I don't know if this is Joe Burrow and Ted Karras and whoever their other captain is, you know, coming together to Zach Taylor and saying, "Hey." We just watched something we've never seen in our lives. We cannot go back. I, I don't know how that unfolded, but I thought both of those coaches handled it extremely well, and that obviously sent the two teams back to their respective locker rooms. I did think some somebody brought up a point last night, and Jake, you've shared this story with us, and I think you did it in the Behind the Badge series, our YouTube video, um, or the YouTube video series that you did back during the month of May about the helicopter that is inside the track um, at the speedway and just what all goes into the medical team and the safety team at an IndyCar race. And someone made a point that if you immediately announce the game has been canceled, what that does is flood 65,000 people to the exits. And what does that do to your first responders that you might need to come into the stadium or leave the stadium? Does that create a more chaotic crowd situation? It also makes people assume the worst, right? Yeah. So again, it sounds like I'm probably carrying the NFL's water a little bit with that, but it it just seemed like everybody was like just jumping to that five-minute conclusion and... It doesn't sound like that was, you know, that was not Roger Goodell calling down to the field in Buffalo and Cincinnati and saying they need to be back out there in five minutes. Yeah, they didn't. The NFL officials, I think, to be fair, many of them probably were in the same situation we were in our living room in Indianapolis. They're watching, you know, obviously they have connection and communication to people on the field. In a state of shock, but seeing correct. something you've never they seen. They don't before. know exactly, you know, everything that's happening. I will say this: the I thought the two head coaches were fine leaders of or, or examples of leadership. I think both handled the situation as well under that situation as they could. I think both of them exuded the exact temperament and decision-making and leadership and composure in that moment that you would expect and want from someone that is coaching a professional football team or any sports team because they are paid to have a composure in that moment, but you never know until it arrives. And I thought both were superlative. In addition to that, as tragic as last night was and as disturbing as it was, and we hope that it has still some triumph within that tragedy, but one of the triumphs, aside from that of what we hope personally for Hamlin, was the triumph just in general of the human spirit, which showed, and you must give some credit, and you would hope that this would be the case in every NFL city, But you have to give some credit as well and a thank you to the people and the fans of the Cincinnati Bengals that understood the severity of the moment, behaved in a respectful fashion of the severity of the moment, and allowed, as you had mentioned, Kevin, for everything to take place in the fashion in which it did and showed the compassion and the unity that one would hope for with a collection like that of humanity. And again, the first responders, the medical staffs from both teams being in that situation, um, the trauma center being very close to... Uh, the Bengal Stadium, you know, all of that comes into play. And, and it did sound like um, DeMar Hamlin's mother was able to go in the ambulance with him. Um, so, you know, she was able to be with him um, last night. Again, the latest update on that, 
you know, I find myself. I think it's worth mentioning every single segment we will have. Get we'll have guests to talk about the Pacers win last night. We'll have Rob Blackman on the nine o'clock hour to talk about Purdue from last night. But uh, considering, I think we all went to sleep last night without an actual update. I think we we should mention in every segment. Um, so again, the latest this from the Buffalo Bills around one forty this morning. Demar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit. In the game versus the Bengals, his heartbeat was restored on the field. He was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. The Buffalo Bills did travel home last night as a team, back to Orchard Park. And then, as I've said several times this morning, um, don't feel like this is pertinent information at all, but do consider us kind of a news informer here on this show. No update on any potential resumption of this game. Uh, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Kevin and Corey. By the way, we should all... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So, pass along. Again, if you are just joining us this morning... Uh, just over six hours ago, the Buffalo Bills did send an update. DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in the Buffalo Bills game versus the Cincinnati Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. Uh, in other football news regarding injuries, Purdue... Uh, obviously, did you see? Did you watch much of the Citrus Bowl and see the injury? Yeah, Dion. It was Dion Burks. Is Correct. that his name? Yeah, um, I did see that. He was taken to a local hospital, right? But released. Did I see that correctly? Dion Burks has movement in all extremities due to neck pain. Precautionary measures were taken to stabilize him after the injury. He was taken to a local hospital where he will be fully evaluated and undergo additional testing. That from Purdue at about six o'clock. Last night, then they later announced all medical scans were normal and Dion is feeling better. He has been discharged from the hospital. So that is good news. Yeah, good news on that front. Again, we will talk a little bit more Pacers and Purdue um, coming up later in the show, uh, but continue to focus on the DeMar Hamlin situation. We actually had a listener, uh, Craig, who was a um, ICU nurse, uh, call in. And I, first off, Craig, thank you for, for doing that. Um, I guess you, you, your thoughts on everything that transpired last night and if the best you can kind of take us behind the scenes and, and what you imagine took place, whether it be on the field or at the trauma center. Yeah, so after somebody's had cardiac arrest and then you have to do CPR, um, you're not only worried in that immediate time frame, especially right after you get them back, but you're worried a lot for the heart and the brain within 24 to 48 hours after the event. So a lot of times you'll take them back to the hospital and you'll put them in into a kind of hypothermia. And that has been shown to really significantly reduce future damage to the heart and to the brain. And so the most likely that's what they did is they took him back. They've got him cooled down and they're keeping him sedated and monitoring everything. Uh, and they'll do that over the next few days to really monitor where things are with his heart neurologically, make sure that 
he's not getting more damage even up to 24, 48 hours after the event. Now, Craig, um, I want to ask you a couple of things here. And first off, I guess to protect you, I, you know, I want to make sure I'm not asking in specific with this Hamlin case because we don't know, right? So speaking in generalities yeah. here, um, one of the reports that came last night, I believe it was one of the initial reports uh, from, it may have been from the bills, I can't recall, but there was a report that he was intubated. For those that are unfamiliar, that means that a tube was put in one's air passageway to essentially breathe for you. Uh, is is that a common occurrence in these types of situations that someone would be intubated? Yes. Yeah, that usually happens if somebody's in the hospital and goes into cardiac arrest. It's pretty much 100% guarantee they'll be intubated and sedated. Uh, if you're ever going to sedate somebody, you will intubate them and put them on a ventilator so that you're actually doing the breathing for them and they're not going to stop breathing. One of the things that I was introduced to last night, Craig, I, I was unfamiliar. Maybe I had heard like in passing of this phenomenon. Again, we don't know for certain and may never know for certain that this was what took place last night. But I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Commodio or commotio cordis, which is a, a trauma to the chest area right at the moment like literally in the millisecond between when the heart is pushing out and then restricting again during a heartbeat. And that trauma causes the heart to cease in continuing its beat, electrically speaking. Have you ever witnessed that sort of an event? Uh, no, I've not witnessed. Well, or I mean the recovery of said event, I guess I should say. Not that specifically. Um, Lots of other causes for cardiac arrest, but not that specifically. Craig, it was mentioned last night, I, I believe, that maybe nine minutes of CPR, if I, I recall correctly. Um, how does that number compare to what you are used to hearing? Yeah, if you're not in a hospital where they've got IVs already started and can push a lot of different medications, then... Um, nine minutes is is actually a pretty decent amount of time for CPR and for his heart to restart. By decent, you mean that that's encouraging, or decent meaning like that's longer than you would expect? That's encouraging. Okay. Yeah. So when you're doing CPR, you're actually pumping the blood through the body. Um, you're almost—it's almost like you're artificially making the heart work when gotcha. you're doing CPR. So. You you still got blood pumping through and supplying all the the tissues and the organs with the oxygenated blood that they need. So it's it's not like nine minutes without a heartbeat or without actual blood flow. You've got blood flow while you're doing CPR. Gotcha. Um, when you mentioned earlier. Um, and again, for those that are just now joining us, Craig, very kind to call in, ICU nurse. I, I assume locally here, Craig? Yes, sir. Um, when you mentioned the neurological worries and concerns and the immediacy and now the 24, 48-hour period that we will enter after, is that more oxygen to the brain related? Um, to some degree, yes, but a lot of it is the body's reaction to the cardiac arrest 
and CPR, um, and then some byproducts that you get related to your acid and acid-based balance in your body. Craig, let me let me finish by saying this to you. So do you work in, you say ICU, so you see it all, right? I mean, you're not necessarily specifically in a cardiology unit, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, cardiologically speaking, you know, I was pretty close, right? I mean, I only say it because I can relate to obviously not what mr hamlin is going through but to an extent i mean i was there with nurses and doctors working on me uh when all hell was breaking loose and you know when you've got a 100 percent blockage stuff gets real real fast right yeah and i'm asked a lot how i and i asked myself a lot probably how i made it out of that room and you know, Craig, quite frankly, um, it's because when you go into that moment, you feel a connection with the people that are working on you and you trust them and they have a demeanor about them that carries you through. And that's not to say that if they don't make it out that you weren't that way in that moment, but I don't know that you realize, Craig, when you go into work every day the possibility that somebody's going to make it out of that room just because of the grace you carry. And so for those that do, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's, um, I mean, it's a lot more important than talking about sports, talking about sports. I can tell you that. And you know, it's, you never forget it, man. I mean, I almost feel sorry for Craig. I appreciate the call. Craig, thank you very Kevin, much. I, I almost feel sorry sometimes for nurses and doctors because I mean, you as a, as a patient, you feel this bond with them like forever. Right. And they're like, yeah, man, I'm just doing my job. And I'm one of like a thousand people that feel that connection to them and they got lives to live, man. They don't. They don't need to be like having me talk to them all the time. But I'm telling you, that's what. Uh, that is what carries you through, Jake. Um, it's probably some combination of COVID slash having two babies be delivered in the last two and a half years. The small, small, small positive I think of us having to go through COVID and your situation times you know a million. Our appreciation for nurses, our appreciation for first responders, while I want to believe it was always extremely high, in my opinion, should be through the roof. And I just, oh yeah, I mean, I can't, I think I've shared it before, just watching the chaotic nature of when Max was delivered and how quickly all of that happened and the uncertainty and the nervousness and seeing the doctor, I mean, this is 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, seeing the doctors and the nurses and how composed they are. Um, it, it takes an extremely rare individual to be cool, calm, and collected in those moments, um, and then to deliver, for lack of a better term, in terms of what they know and the knowledge that they've gained through years of um, learning, and then to execute all of that, um, it, it's a task that I could never imagine doing. And, you know, for those doctors and medical people on the field last night i mean can you imagine that i mean that's a little bit of a different nature uh, than you're in versus a hospital room or you know even just a typical public event you know if you're at a restaurant and you know you have to tend to someone there you know 60 70 000 people and 
you know, all these people crying around you. Um, yeah. Gosh. I, I mean, listen, it's, you know, it was surreal for everybody there. I think also because, you know, it's kind of one of those, like, you never think it'll happen to you type moments. Um, and, and so for the players, they're all looking at it thinking like, that that could be me, right? I mean, that, that could easily be me. Um, there are a lot of dominoes to it. I mean, you do feel for T. Higgins as well because, right? you know, I mean, what must be going through his mind? And the hit itself, I guess for those that didn't see it or don't want to see it, and I apologize if this sounds it looked fairly innocuous, right? Insensitive, Jake. That's a hit you see every other no drive question. in the NFL. T. Higgins makes a catch, turns up field. Demar Hamlin makes a tackle and almost kind of absorbs T. Higgins. I don't know if that's like a great way to describe it, but just kind of absorbed the hit and got up for a brief instant and then fell to the ground. And obviously, we saw everything unfolded after that. So we'll continue to keep you posted on things. Um, Thank you to Craig for calling in and Jake. I know it's a very emotional. I'm sure it was very emotional for you last yeah, night. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried. And you know, last night. I appreciate night, you sharing this, Kevin. And, and listen, I, I want to apologize for people if I lost like composure there, but you, you don't know really what triggers it. I, you know, last night watching it, it was like, wow. You know, I I'd, I keep forgetting that I had an incident involving my heart. I, you know, not to that level because I didn't have total cardiac arrest. I never lost consciousness. Um, so maybe that's why for me it's it's emotional because I can remember every single moment of it. And like when you're in that moment, you're just, you know, your your loved ones aren't around. You know, you're you're in that room and you're thinking to yourself, as I was, you're thinking to yourself, this is probably it. You know, this is I never thought I would live to be this age. I thought I'd live longer than this, but this is very possibly the end of my life, and these are the last people I'm going to be around. And in that moment, um, you want them to have that grace, and I hope that they realize that, that they realize that that's what people are relying on them for. And so you just never know when that is going to be triggered in you to go back to that moment. I do want to share a couple of DeMar Hamlin stories here in just a second. Um Jake, one of the first things I thought of last night when words start, you know, when we realized there was going to be no thumbs up, there was going to be no, I'm okay. There was going to be no, you know, crowd cheering and he's, you know, whatever, if he can wave something like that, that you, that you often see with these situations when players suffer, you know, the types of injuries where then they needed to be carted or stretched off the field, stretched off the field. I thought about John Stewart. And I was admittedly very young when that happened, but it was probably one of the more impressionable sports life stories. What year would that have been? 90, 98, John Stewart? That sounds right. Right around the turn of the I century? I was that night at Channel 6. I think 98 or 99 sounds right. You know, I was 9, maybe 10 years old, and at that point, sports and life don't really intersect. You know, it's probably 99.9% of sports for me and when I realized what happened and I mean I had gone to local basketball games and watched John Stewart play like I mean I I knew who he was and I think Kyle Nenrip it was a couple years ago now you know wrote a piece on when Ellen and Bloomington South played and Jack Kiefer and J.R. Holmes still coaching there and just the memories from Chris Hill and everybody that was on the court Andy Means everybody on the court that night when it occurred I believe in Columbus if I'm not mistaken where that game was played, that is what I thought of 
last night and obviously in a high school gym and seeing all of that happen and for a 17 18 year old individual i mean hell demar hamlin's not much older than that i guess it is pretty much the same thing a little bit of a different environment that was the event that i thought of last night the the john stewart incident um led to eventually a program there's a gentleman uh doug is his first name that lives down near batesville but he started a foundation locally i know of called giving hearts a hand that does pre-season heart scans and screenings for high school athletes to it is impossible always to detect everything within the heart but you can you can hopefully determine if somebody has the condition that john stewart had or if there is significant blockage or um you know blockage can come either via cholesterol or plaque that develops inside the arteries uh and and those things are allowed they can scan those things they're never 100 percent pure of course but if there is an issue like a john stewart had the hope is that a young athlete would be able to determine that and have it taken care of before they get involved where the heart is obviously put into a situation where it's working extra hard against itself um and so i would strongly 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 encourage for people of all ages to get a heart scan Never fail proof, but doesn't hurt. We're going to talk a little bit of Pacers coming up in about 10 minutes. Jeremiah Johnson going to join us. Um, some Purdue in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll obviously continue to update you, if there are any updates, on DeMar Hamlin. Did want to share just a couple of stories on you know maybe him outside of football. He is a Pittsburgh native. Went to high school about 10 minutes from the University of Pittsburgh. Decided to stay home. Um, wanted to be close to his mother. His mother had him at the age of 16. Um, he had a younger brother. I don't even think it was elementary age. So that was a big reason why he said he wanted to stay home for college. Uh, this is a quote that DeMar Hamlin shared about being a role model. Uh, and I quote here, Everyone's situation is different. But that, at the end of the day, this way of life right here is going to have you more successful than a lot of those other paths. And it's shown. If you stay straight on this path, you just use your resources and connect with the right people, you'll be successful, you'll turn out okay, and it will all be okay for you. I find that quote pretty relevant because... Hamlin's father spent three and a half years in jail um, during some pretty impressionable years of Hamlin's childhood. Um, He mentioned that it kind of stripped the imagination of a kid. Uh, and, And I'll share this quote as well from Hamlin. And I quote, that's when my outlook on life changed, Hamlin said about his father going to prison. I had to take reality for reality and couldn't be a kid anymore. It was just me and my mom now trying to survive. I had to grow up really fast. It instilled a toughness in me, that mental toughness. It built that work ethic in me. Just that time with not having my dad around, I had to be a man. It changed my life. You know, When you hear Jake about him off the field and his mother and I'm sure this has some relevance to your mom. Um, mom runs a daycare, Kelly and Nina's daycare in the Pittsburgh area. Sounds like DeMar grew up in, in certainly not the greatest part of Pittsburgh, and he wanted to do a toy drive for the kids at the daycare. Uh, and so following his senior season at Pittsburgh, he did that. His goal was about 2500 um, That GoFundMe account has really taken off on Twitter I retweeted it last night for those that are looking for it. Um, and that GoFundMe has over $3 million. Um, so, obviously, DeMar Hamlin's situation is of utmost importance right now. But it's great to see humanity showing up in a big, big way there. 
you know, the the Buffalo Bills as a franchise, and, and, you know, who knows what happens from here forward regarding that game or the schedule or whatever else, but, you know, they have been through nothing compares to this, I realize, but just the city of Buffalo and, you know, the people there, though. I mean, loss of life in Buffalo after the storm they just had, unfortunately, has been more common than one would expect. We had a shooting there. Um, what's that? Prominent shooting there, sadly. That's right, yeah. I mean, it's been a rough year for the city of Buffalo and for the spirit of those people. And, you know, for a lot of them, the bills are probably the outlet that allows them to, to pull together. And they got to pull together now probably as, as much as ever before. Okay, Jeremiah Johnson going to join us in a few. Jake, were you in? Um, you, you brought up, and boy, I, I don't, I'm not going to try and pronounce it um the condition that people thought Harmon might have suffered last night with that hit starts with a c uh, commodio cordis or com- I, I believe it's either commotio cordis or commodio cordis again we don't know that for sure Correct. but some people are mentioning last night chris pronger former blues player suffered a slap shot to the chest in 98 okay that was right before i was there okay yep. and suffered that um Again, this is the furthest thing from trying to compare the two situations. I feel a bit insensitive in doing that, so I apologize. But for what it's worth, Pronger made a full recovery, actually played in the NHL for over a decade after that. Um, so I think, you know, again, if we're trying to look at other situations that have occurred, that was one that I saw mentioned um, last night. Well, there was the. And it wasn't that situation, but the soccer player, obviously. Yeah, Denmark. Um, Christian Eriksen, I believe, for Denmark in the right. Euros uh, last year, maybe two years ago, suffered a heart attack on the field. And, and then my uncle was texting me last night. I didn't. 1971, Chuck Harris. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Harris. Hughes. Chuck Hughes, Lions player. for the Lions, right? Yeah. Um, who passed on the field. Yeah, he had had, uh, if I'm not mistaken... He had caught a pass, was running back towards the huddle. He was right near Dick Buckus, as a matter of fact. And he passed away at the age of 28. Um, he had basically one of his coronary arteries was blocked at 75%, and he had a family history of heart disease, um, You know, as did I. Again, the, the blockage can happen one of two ways. If you think of a garden hose, you either over the course of time can just get dirt that cakes inside the garden hose and narrows the passage of it, or you can get a rock that goes in the middle of it. Um, And in my case, I had a piece of rogue plaque that broke away, scraped the artery wall, and then a blood clot formed, and so I had a rock in the middle. So it was not gradual. It was instantaneous. Um, But yes, Chuck Hughes is the only nfl player and we certainly hope remains god willing to him the only nfl player to pass away on the field again before we get to morning check down the latest on damar hamlin this around 140 last night from the buffalo bills i know a lot of people are kind of in and out driving into work probably back to work or back to school coming up here on this tuesday morning so this from the bills damar hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the bengals last night his heartbeat was restored in the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson is going to join us in about five minutes. Let's do a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
We'll actually begin with college basketball last night. Number one, Purdue. They were down most of the game, came back, took the lead, and then credit to Rutgers. A big three at the end to take the lead. Purdue was not able to convert. 65-64, Rutgers for the second straight year. Knocks off Purdue at number one. The Boilers now 13-1 overall. They are 2-1 in the Big Ten. Four-game win streak for Rutgers. Uh, Zach Eady, 19 points, 10 boards. Brandon Newman had 11, including a a key three late. Fletcher Lawyer also a key late three-pointer, but not enough as Rutgers wins by one. Wright State also over IUPUI, 82-68. Pacers win last night. Again, we'll talk more about it with Jeremiah Johnson coming up in a few. They beat the Raptors at home. Benedict Matherin, outstanding, 21 points. Very efficient off the bench. The bench unit in general, TJ McConnell and Jalen Smith, were huge. The starters really struggled against Toronto's starting unit uh, to lead off the first quarter and the third quarter. Uh, but when it went to the bench, Indiana's reserves uh, were huge. 21-17 and 17 on the year. It's now a trip to Philly coming up on Wednesday before the Pacers return home. I'm looking at that schedule, Mark. Is that... Do you know who they got up on the board coming up? Or is that last week? I think I might still... Still be uh, the Portland's Portland's schedule. here Friday. I know that Portland coming up on Friday, and I think Char- is it Charlotte on Sunday. That is correct for a little five o'clock tip uh, from Cambridge Field. Um, you hit me. You swooshed it too fast on me there, Mark. I Did I? I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know where we're going now. Notre Dame and Boston College tonight in college basketball. Irish eight and six. They are zero and three in league play. You want to come over and watch? Uh, <laughs> Kevin already, by the way. Why do you laugh, Mark? He, <laughs> Right now, Kevin sign says fire Mike B, but he's waiting uh, to put the. Uh, we're in the back half of the last name, to be honest with really? you. Really, that sign. Boston College seven and seven. Uh, Ball State and Toledo. Ball State going into Toledo nine and four. They have a five game winning streak. Uh, Toledo has a two game win streak, and are the Rockets five and zero at home. So we'll see what happens there. It'll be Sam Ellinger starting for the Colts on Sunday. Yeah. That is a one o'clock kick against the Houston Texans. Um, other news yesterday from Jeff Saturday's press conference, uh, he was very displeased not only by Kayvon Thibodeau's reaction to the Nick Foles, or I guess the sack reaction from Thibodeau, called it tasteless, called it trash. He also was not pleased with how his offensive line reacted in that moment and said it would be something that he would bring up with them coming up this week. So Colts and Texans in what I would argue is the least most most least anticipated game that Lucas Oil Stadium has seen and maybe it's history. Man, I mean... By the way, um, go to my pinned tweet that's at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y. If you have tickets to the game and you are not going to attend on Sunday, there is uh, the email address right there or you can simply email me, jake at 1075thefan.com. If you want to electronically forward me the tickets... Jake at 1075thefan.com. I will get them in touch with the United Way for an inner city mentor program where a child who would normally not go to an NFL game will go with one of their mentors, be escorted to the game. We can offer you a receipt as well if need be. Terrific idea and a very seamless process. So, again, Jake Query on Twitter. All right, Jeremiah Johnson joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, the situation involving 
DeMar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills and his critical injury last night in Cincinnati. Again, critical condition. He did suffer cardiac arrest. They did get a resuscitation of pulse on the field before he was taken to the hospital and um, was put, obviously, into a sedation and we'll monitor from there. But the Pacers did play last night. There's still plenty to talk about with the blue and gold. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, he is with Bally Sports Indiana. Jeremiah Johnson joins us. And, J.J., this is kind of an odd one, actually, because you go from you know playing the four on at home, and then all of a sudden you got to go on the road for one with Philly and come right back for two more on the road. Kind of a quirk in the schedule, I guess. Is Does that almost like throw off a team at all when, when – you know, you kind of, it'd be an easy game to overlook, I would think. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe you'd overlook it if it was a different opponent or situation. But when you're facing Joel Embiid and the Sixers, I think you'll have their attention. And uh, the other thing that makes it maybe a little bit unusual to what the Pacers have faced this season is it, it seems like there have been so many multi game road trips. Uh, it hasn't always been that way. But I think this is the only, the second one game trip. We had a, a one game trip to Cleveland in December, but. Uh, for the most part, there have been a five, obviously there was like the sixth gamer and then there was a five gamer and we've had a, a two gamer. So just to have the one game is a little bit unusual for this season, but maybe not that unusual per norm in the NBA. Okay, Jeremiah Johnson's with us. JJ, you know this full well. My love for Benedict Matherin is, you know, Quinn Buckner like for smothered chicken. So the fact that I'm asking you a Matherin question probably won't shock you. Something I was saying to Jake earlier. It seems like the games that he circles on the calendar, and I I guess it's a bit unfair to me acting like what he circles on the calendar, but whether it was the LeBron game earlier this year, you know, playing the defending champs in Golden State, uh, you know, early on the season, you know, playing guys drafted above him last night, I would assume it meant more to him in that it was the Canadian NBA team, seeing that he lived in Montreal, his college teammate, Christian Coloco as well, on the Raptors. It seems like those games, he rises to the occasion even more. And amidst, you know, he had some struggles, I think, mid to late December, but I think he's found a rhythm again here over the past week or so. The fact that he does kind of step up in those moments, to me, is another sign of, you know, bright, bright future for him. Yeah, Kevin, I think the last point of your question is the best part, is that he does step up in those big moments. And sometimes... I feel like I notice over the course of a game, there just needs to be just a little bit of a trigger, whether it is the crowd or whether it is maybe a little scuffle or just a little back and forth with someone on the opposition or maybe even on the opposing coaching staff. And I saw him looking over to the Raptors bench a few times, and we do know that there are some Toronto coaches, including Nick Nurse, that he mentioned to me in the walk-off interview that he had some connections with in Team Canada. I don't think it was anything necessarily negative but you could tell he was fired up and I think he goes into every game with a pretty um, serious mindset and an intent on making an impact in the game but there is no moment that is too big for him and so it was no surprise to me that once he was hitting those shots and you sort of saw that look in his eye he was not going to come out of the game sometimes it's a pleasant problem that Rick Carl has trying to figure out who will close games because if you have the bench unit on the court Sometimes you don't want to play them necessarily all of the end of the third quarter and then all of the fourth quarter, but Benedict Matherin was going to be part of that closing five last night, and he made some big shots. And it's what you want from a player that you're counting on, not just now but in the future, someone that can embrace that moment, someone that maybe you can call a play for 
coming out of a timeout with 30 seconds left and know he's going to knock that shot down. And I'm seeing the Pacers have multiple players like that, and that's what you really want to see. Did anybody ever call you Jeremy as a kid? Has it always been Jeremiah? Uh, it always is Jeremiah or JJ. Uh, Jeremy was probably the one name that I did not prefer. Gotcha. Only, and this was too much information, but there was a, a classmate of mine named Jeremy that was not my favorite person, mm. and so I really didn't like to be yeah. confused as a Jeremy. I'll meet you by the monkey bars, um, like JJ said to Jeremy. <laughs> well, the reason times. I say it, in all honesty, Jeremiah, the reason I asked is because I was about to refer to you as JJ, but I don't want to use a name that is esoteric to only those of us that our listeners don't know, but I think outside of the arena, you're known as JJ as well, right? I mean, as opposed to just Jeremiah yeah. Johnson? Pretty much, yeah. A lot of people call me JJ. I can remember when I was in elementary school and one of my friends said, is it all right, Jeremiah's kind of long, can I call you JJ? And I said, sure, and it, it kind of stuck, and I have no I have no issues with it whatsoever. I would say close friends and family don't always say JJ, but pretty much anyone else, and honestly, anyone that wants to say that, I'm perfectly okay with okay. it. Even on my Twitter handle, it says Pacers JJ. So how could I complain about it? So this is the Jeremiah Johnson. This is the Jeremiah of Peru that is not a psychopath. Okay. Um, so Jeremiah, here's my question for you, or JJ, I guess. Is it possible that we now have enough body of work on this Pacers team to definitively say that they have arrived early, and that that might, in fact kind of slow down the retool or rebuild if you will and change the trajectory of how they were planning on doing it by going more with this core than what they had thought at the beginning of the year it has changed the trajectory i don't know if i would say slow down it might speed up i mean i do think that going into the season you heard what i heard we heard it straight from the front office there was almost uh an expectation or maybe an, a, a word of advice to the fans to have some patience that it may take a little bit longer than expected, and it's been anything but that. And this is another what I would uh, qualify as a pleasant problem. The other pleasant problem was over the course of a game decisions to make, and now you have to maybe make some different decisions because where you thought you might be just in terms of reality is completely different. You're sixth in the Eastern Conference. You're winning six of seven and against teams that are both playoff teams that are at full strength. That's the biggest thing that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks. And I did think in the middle of December when you had that rough patch on the road and you were kind of almost treading water just a little bit, and then you lost four or five and were just unable to close games. I did think when you got to that first week of January after facing this tough stretch of the schedule, you would probably know a lot about the direction the team would take for the rest of this season and now that you've won six of seven which i don't think anyone could have expected or even and the most optimistic of pacers fans could have really hoped for when you considered that three were on the road all against really good teams celtics heat pelicans and then that four game homestand there were no gimmies there were no pushovers and you got every team's best shot and to win all four of those i think it does make everyone take a step back and say okay what can this team, this current team, what can they accomplish? And it's a better question for the front office. I'm guessing we'll hear from them at some point in February. I'm not sure they're too interested in doing a lot of interviews right now because they've got a lot of decisions to make over the next month. But they, it is completely different than what I think anyone thought this team would be doing right now. And 
who knows what direction they'll take. But if you keep winning games, you're you're gonna look to the present a little bit more than maybe you were looking to the future. JJ, if you could pick one player on this year's roster, and you could have purchased them at what it was anticipated their value or contribution would be at the beginning of the year and sell them right now for what their contribution or value is to the franchise, what player would make you the most money? I would probably say Aaron Neesmith, and I don't want to say that I'm ready to sell on Aaron Neesmith. No, I I get it, though. I'm with you. I'm with you. Because he started to show a little offensive game, right? I mean, he's he's obviously one of their better wing defenders, but I think we're starting to see he can score a little bit. Yeah, to be perfectly honest, there was a point early in the season when you want every player in a catch-and-shoot situation, for the most part, to be confident to shoot that shot. But there were times in November, and he probably was just getting back to full health, and he had a foot issue, had the same foot issue on, on both of his feet. So if we think about that first month of the season, it just didn't look like he was the guy you wanted to shoot that three-point shot. You were confident that he could guard some some of the other team's best players, and that's what got him the playing time. But you really didn't think about offense. And now, I don't know whether he's changed his form or it's just the confidence or he's in a really good rhythm, but now I want him to shoot that three-point shot. And then he is attacking the basket with such ferocity, you need uh, no further example than what you saw against the Cavaliers last week, that you can't take him off the court. And that, again, gets back to what I said about the closing five. In late November and December, there was no question the way Benedict Matherin was playing that he was on the court close games in the fourth quarter and maybe Aaron Neesmith was not even if he had started or played early and now you need him on the court not just for his defense but for his offense and so you look back to that offseason trade to the Celtics I think everyone just thought you were getting a number one pick that would probably be in the late 20s and you were maybe moving Malcolm Brogdon to create some cap space and also maybe just as important some playing time and now you think okay you also got this lottery pick that never had a chance to really show what he could do in Boston and maybe he wasn't ready truthfully the first two years in the league but now he's starting on a team that has won six of seven he's guarding the best wing on the opposition which this is a position of need for the Pacers that we have said for the last couple of seasons um, I don't know that his stock could be any higher and I had some uh, some friends that they're in, they're getting into the uh, the card collecting and they said last week, my my sons are searching eBay for Aaron Neesmith rookie cards, so I think that would be go. that would qualify to your <laughs> statement. Uh, he's skyrocketing right now. He is Jeremiah Johnson. We got his name situation clarified. Right. Thank you to Jake for that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's joining us <laughs> he's here, good Jeremy, on the Payless Liquors Hotline. JJ, uh, just to take you inside the Bowen household a bit. Seven forty-five is bedtime for Rosie, so we usually head upstairs. She'll stall like you know a four-corner offense in high school, and. You know, usually that leads to three books and four books, and I'm like, all right, I got to get downstairs because one of my favorite things to watch on the Pacers broadcast is your assistant coach interview coming back from halftime. I find that to be extremely enlightening, uh, very candid, no matter who it is. Uh, Jenny Busick, I think it was last night, Ronald Nord, Mike, Mike Weiner, all three of them um, do an outstanding job uh, in sharing information with you. And I'm more just curious than anything, like, how did that start? I, I have a feeling like there are some head coaches around the league that would be like, we're not sharing anything with the television broadcast, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and throw Lloyd Pierce in there as well. Yeah, Lloyd, yeah, uh, thank think, you. You know, longtime Pacers fans, we've been able to do this 
for a number of years, and I think you'll go back to the Dan Burke interview. So it's something that uh, that was all that was always the must see TV. And with a different coaching staff and a different group of assistants, you have to kind of redevelop that relationship and that that chemistry. And it was something that when when Rick Carlisle was here, and once we got out of COVID, that was one thing we really weren't able to do. So that was missing from the broadcast. And so now home or road we have that opportunity on a rotating basis to talk with those assistants so Rick Carlisle gave his blessing I think and one of the things he has done is he is empowering his assistants to have a voice he gives them a lot of credit for what they're doing in practice for the adjustments they're making in the games and I think the coaches they they look forward to that opportunity as well it's a chance for not only for them to get you know their voice out there but also to just share a little bit of insight, which I think is really important. I mean, it's all about access right now, and we want the broadcast to, to give you as much of what you want as a fan and as a viewer. And I'll give, you know, Jenny last night said a lot of really good things. And you know it's pretty um, impactful, and it's not just coach speak when Quinn Buckner, for all the basketball that he has seen, I'll find him during the second half bringing back up things that they said during that interview, and it's things we're watching for in the second half of the game. And so it's usually alphabetical order. If you want to kind of go down the list, it was Jenny Busick last night. So Ronald Norridge should be the assistant coach that I chat with in Philadelphia and will continue to go down the line. They all have a little bit of a different area of expertise. Uh, you know, Lloyd Pierce oversees sort of everything. Ronald Norrid, I really try, tend to try to ask the defensive oriented questions. Um, and Mike Weiner, maybe a little more, a little bit more on offense and Jenny, I mean, she does a great job explaining everything and really uh, holds nothing back. I mean, tells you exactly what they're working on, what they'll be watching for, and I thought she did a good job of explaining what they saw from the Raptors, how they hit those three-pointers, but maybe that wouldn't be sustainable in the second half, and and it wasn't, truthfully. So I I think uh, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad we have a chance to give them a shout-out for what they're doing all of the time, but also in taking that interview seriously. Uh, last one before we let you go. This might be more of a Chris Denary question. Um, how have the ratings been um, on Bally? I would assume pretty strong considering how this team has played, and frankly, the Colts' lack of success probably contributes to a little bit of it, but uh, any info there on um, where you guys have been from a rating standpoint, maybe compared to recent seasons? Well, we call him numbers, so it is absolutely a Christianary question. He does a little report every single day. I do not always see it, and uh, you can you can get frustrated at times when you take a daily look at the ratings. Probably you you, but for your show as well, you can think you have a really good show, and there's a lot of people paying well, we, attention. We never think that about. I was going to say that would be news to <laughs> me. I don't, JJ. I don't know where. Yeah. It, where mm-hmm. yeah, bad 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 analogy there. I'll go back to Fox 59. We used to get the ratings reports, and sometimes after a Sunday show, you'd think, oh, I hope that was great, and and then maybe the Sunday night football game kind of took all of your audience. And so I do know that the last month, people are definitely tuning back in. I don't have the specific numbers for you, and it was maybe a little bit slow going early on in the season, but I think they're on an uptick, and they're – it's also similar to what we're seeing at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and I did want to say that because I really felt it, and it's, it's not just positive PR speak. The atmosphere in those games during that four-game homestand was electric. Even on a Monday night when kids were going back to school, um, it was a pretty loud atmosphere, and the sixth man, the six men and women, they did a really good job of getting the crowd or getting the players fired up, and the, and the players in turn fired the crowd up. So. Atmosphere's good, crowd's good, ratings on, on an upswing, and we hope that continues. Hopefully just a few less games. There have been a lot of these 
games of the Pacers play at the same time as the Colts. Colts in prime time, Pacers playing, and I know it was a rough season for the Colts, but hopefully the Pacers can continue to attract eyeballs as we're into 2023. Pacers and Sixers tomorrow night from Philly. JJ, safe travels this afternoon, and uh, always enjoy it. Thank you. All right. See you, KB and JQ. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There was no uh, maniacal Jake that I had a problem yeah, with. I was going to you know, you, you don't love, is that correct? You don't love the given name? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. So I try to be sensitive to that. I No, wouldn't answer to it. You know, my maiden name, or my, my maiden name, my middle name is my mom's maiden name. Um, Any guesses? Okay, hold on. Give me the middle initial. D as in dog. Let me ask you this. Would it be an unusual male first name? Extremely. Dawn. Uh, Don Bowen. That's a pretty name for a girl. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. Middle name. I will go with DeWise. It's got one letter four times in it. Wow. Why don't you ponder that while we go to break? Okay, that's good. I like that. I'll Talk a little Purdue it. coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Wordle. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So you said somebody famous has this last yeah. name, correct? I mean, famous is a loose term. What realm of fame? Sports world. College football coach. Again, uh. spelled differently. I... It's amazing watching your brain be stimulated by these questions. <laughs> on Kevin Bowen's middle name is that has because, one letter four times in is it. Is it because you're not typically used to me? Okay. A col- uh, an active college football coach? No. No. Unfortunately, no longer with us. Okay. Uh, rules out Schimbeckler. Right? Jason guesses Demiri. No. Notre Dame coach? Uh no. Oh, wait, Divine. <laughs> no. Not not, not Divine. Um a Big Ten school upcoming. If that helps you at all. About to join the Big Ten, you mean? A former USC coach. Uh let me think. You got John McKay, you got um Pete Carroll. Is it USC? UCLA also. I can't name UCLA coaches, I don't think. I don't know. I guess. The longtime UCLA head coach, Terry Donahue. Oh, Donahue, yep. Okay. Now, my spelling is not like the color on the end of it, Hugh. My spelling is D O N O H O O. Really? Four hmm. O's. Donahue. Okay. Well, he should have coached at Arkansas if he was spelled that way. <laughs> right? right? Pig Suey, right? Yeah, so did you ever right. get the full name treatment from your parents when you were growing up? Uh, occasionally. Kevin Donahue Bowen, get yep. down here now! Mm-hmm. Occasionally. So yeah, mom's maiden name on that front. Uh, we'll talk a little Purdue coming up. Rob Blackman going to join us as we've done throughout the show. And for those that are just now joining us, first off, it's a very warm, seasonably warm day here in Indianapolis Uh, But the latest update from DeMar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills came just before 2 a.m., and that is DeMar Hamlin 
suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in the game versus the Bengals last night. His heartbeat was restored in the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. The Bills did go home last night, so Bills players went back to Orchard Park. And again, I don't find this information to be needing to be discussed endlessly right now. I think Hamlin's state is much, 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 much more important uh, but there has been no update on the game being played, in my opinion. Just cancel it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Wait, totally you want to um, offer your idea if the kind of a hypothetical playoff playoff situation? I I, I, I definitely did not think about this, but uh, your brain at work again with this. Well, I think that, and again, somebody got on me, dude. Chill out. This isn't the time. I, I get it. Um, especially last night. The game should be last night's game should just be canceled. And then in the unlikely event that Buffalo and Cincinnati face each other in the postseason, if last night's game would have been a factor in determining who has home field advantage in the playoffs against one another, if they were to face one another since that game was canceled, I mean, you could always score it as a tie and go from there. But again, you're denying like Buffalo the opportunity to have won there and gotten home field, whatever. So um, if they were to face in the playoffs and if that was a denied opportunity to determine home field between the two of them, then I think you play the game halfway between the two, which would be Pittsburgh, which is Hamlin's hometown with a portion of the proceeds of that going towards the charity of Hamlin. Again, the charity of Hamlin, a um, toy foundation, or he did did a toy drive, I should say, uh, recently. The Chasing M's Foundation, his mother uh, worked in daycare in the Pittsburgh area, so he wanted to raise some toys for the children there, and that GoFundMe has been going around Twitter overnight, and last I saw, it was like $3.2, $3.3 million, so... Um, the good in humanity being seen on that front. We'll obviously continue to keep you posted. If you've missed it, um, we've shared a lot of thoughts on, I think, not only the situation, but Hamlin as a human being, which I've, tragically, I, I hate that this is why I'm reading more about him, but I have read a lot about him over the last you know 12 hours or so and just seems like a terrific individual. He's been through a lot. Um, and, you know, obviously... You think about the first responders, not only on the field um, that potentially saved his life, but those at the trauma center in Cincinnati. You know, Jake, we talk about it a lot here locally, how grateful we are to have unbelievable medical care downtown. Cincinnati is state of the art yeah. in a lot of that. My my niece um, had to go through some surgery when she was very young down there at their children's hospital. Um, so it, it, it's weird to say, but like outside of the hospital, if you're going to suffer an event like he suffered, an NFL football field is probably high on the list of a place of medical attention to the nth degree readily available. And I don't know if the AED machine or the defibrillators, whatever you call it, that were used last night uh, were the exact same ones, but I do know that a local Central Indiana company sold a number of those devices to the Cincinnati Bengals. Really? Yeah. So, uh, not sure if that's, you know disingenuous to say i know for certain that's the ones that were used for him but i know the bengals have used the central indiana company for that again nine o'clock hour coming up kevin and corey will continue to keep you posted on that front we'll chat um some purdue uh with rob blackman coming up next 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It is 9.03 in Indianapolis. It is technically 9.03 everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Quarry, Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton flying the ship for us. It's Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. We have talked primarily about the situation involving DeMar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills from last night, but there was sports that was played, obviously, throughout the course of the evening as well, and that includes the number one team in the country, the Purdue Boilermakers, for the second straight year, losing while number one to Rutgers. This time, Purdue at 13-0. and They are now 13-1, and 2-1 in Big Ten play. Rutgers comes in and gets the upset. They are now 10-4 and four and 2-1 and one in the league as well. Joining us on the Payless Sugars Hotline, Rob Blackman is the radio voice of Purdue basketball, and he joins us to talk about it. Rob, listen, the reality is Rutgers is a darn good basketball team. I think that they – I like their grit and their tenacity. Borderline football team at times. Yeah, but what was Purdue able – or excuse me, what was, what was Rutgers able to do against Purdue that others were not? Well, let's start with this. When Rutgers first entered the league, I kind of hoped we could schedule those guys five or six times a season because they were that bad. Now I'd like to petition that Rutgers have to leave the Big Ten immediately. (laughs) I I think IU would sign that petition too, Rob. (laughs) I mean, and what is it with the Indiana teams that they have so much success against both IU and us? You think about this. With that, with that win last night, guys, Rutgers has now beaten Purdue five of the last six times they've played us. Think about that. Five of the last six they have beaten us. Uh, it used to be, at least up until this year, I thought it was just a Geo Baker thing because we never seem to have an answer for that guy, but apparently it's more than Geo Baker. I think what it comes down to is that they are so physical and so long and so athletic and they play with such tenaciousness on the defensive end that they're just so hard to score on. Um, and I, and just sitting courtside and watching it last night, you're quickly reminded about how good they are on defense. I mean, they, they give you nothing easy on the defensive end. I mean nothing. Uh, maybe Purdue's easiest shot of the game was actually the wide-open look that Brandon Newman had to win the game. That, that might have been the only open look it felt like that Purdue had uh, the whole night. And, of course, uh, Brandon wasn't able to make that shot. But it's just what they do to you defensively. They just harass you, and they're so physical with you. Um, I, Coach Painter had a great quote. I don't know if you saw it in the post game last night, but he just talked about how physical and how tough they are. And he said, and I, don't get, I won't get this 100% correct, but it was something to the effect of, if we were going to war, we would stop in New Jersey and pick up Rutgers on our way because that is how tough those guys are and how hard they play. So, um, that's just that's what they do, and that is it's. If you look at the, you look at the Big Ten records, and I'm talking Big Ten games only, over the last four years, Purdue has far and away been the best team in the Big Ten as far as wins and losses, except for against Rutgers. Uh, whatever the reason, <laughs> Rutgers has Purdue's number, and uh, I'm glad we only play them once this year. Thank goodness Purdue does not have to go to Piscataway and play these guys again. Uh, because I'm sick of playing Rutgers, man. We we just can't find a way to beat those guys. Rob, I think one of the things that made Purdue pretty unique last year is if Jaden Ivey was off the floor, Travion Williams or Zach Eady could kind of be a catalyst, and vice versa. When the bigs were off the floor and foul trouble, obviously Jaden Ivey 
could could be the lead guy and was often the the lead guy. I, I watch this year's team and I'm thinking, man, if it's not Edie, and, and it's not just Edie scoring, you just throw it into him. He draws the double, and then all of a sudden you've initiated offense because he's kicking it out and guys are swinging it and you're finding open shots. I think that's a bit concerning to me. I know Edie still played a decent amount of minutes last night, but if and when foul trouble arises for him. Very curious to see if Purdue's supporting cast can do enough. Because right now, I know Newman had a couple shots last night. The Jenkins kid, I feel like, is struggling. It, it just seems like Purdue could use somebody else to step up. Yeah, and, and, and Matt Painter said the exact same thing that you just said, Kevin. Literally almost to a T, to what you just said uh, when he joined us on the post-game radio show. Uh, because really last night, and, and Zach did play 28 minutes, so he did he did play a lot of minutes. But... Uh, he was in foul trouble for the first time really all season. Uh, he picked up his first foul 20 seconds into the game, uh, picked up his second foul midway through the first half, and then Matt kind of had to kind of sporadically play him from there uh, just to try his best to keep him out of foul trouble. So really for the first time all year, Purdue played a quality team with Zach in foul trouble, and Purdue did not respond well to that because just as you said, uh, offense has been initiated through Zach Eady, Zach Eady all season long. Um, it is very rare when Purdue runs a play in half-court offense and Zach Eady does not touch the ball. Uh, I, I don't know what the percentages would be uh, if you broke it down, uh, uh, but I, I'm certain it has to be in the 90 percentile that Purdue throws the ball to Zach Eady at least once in half-court offense. Um, and so, yeah, Purdue failed that test last night, and that is a concern. And Matt Painter again said the same thing. Uh, where is Purdue going to find offense uh, when Zach Eady is not on the floor? Zach only got 10 shots last night. Now, he did go to the free throw line nine times, uh, but he only got 10 shots, uh, 10 field goal attempts. Uh, and this is a guy that uh, is in a lot of ways uh, right there in the running for national player of the year. So you need to find a way to make sure that guy gets more than 10 shots of the game. Or if you don't, you need to find someone else who can step up and, and make plays for you and, and uh, on the offensive end. And it's a great point by you. And, again, Coach Paint said the same thing. Got to find some guys outside of Zach Eady that can help you when Zach, especially when Zach's in foul trouble. Which is better? Which is a stronger suit, Rob Blackman, for Purdue basketball? Zach Eady's ability to send the ball back out from the post if he's not, you know, if he gets the ball and, and nothing's open behind him to, to spray it around the arc, or the ball movement that takes place once they get it back out on the perimeter to try to find somebody open. Uh, probably the latter, uh, and I would add this. The one thing Purdue's been really good at this year, maybe not so much last night, but for the most part, Purdue has, has done a really good job of when Zach Eady throws the ball out of the post, Purdue's been good about throwing it back into him, which did not happen at all last year. And I think Zach got a little frustrated with that. I don't know if he would admit that publicly. But I think last year when Zach threw the ball out of the post, he knew he was not going to see the ball again, unless he got an offensive rebound. This year's team's been really good about allowing Zach to reposition himself, maybe post up a little bit deeper, maybe carve out a little more space, let him throw the ball right back into him and let him go to work. Um, Again, maybe not as good about that last night as Purdue has been, um, but I think that's the bigger key right there, Jake. Uh, If Zach is willing to give the ball up, which he has been, he's a willing passer, as long as Purdue's willing to throw it back into him. Because, I mean, let's face it, uh, and he's seven foot four, two hundred ninety-five pounds. There, even in the Big Ten, uh, there are rarely big guys that can just match up for him, man for man, in the post. Look at Cliff Amore, one of the best defenders in all of the Big Ten, 
six eleven, probably the best overall athlete in the Big Ten for a guy of his size. Even with him singled up in the post last night against Zach Eady, any time the ball was thrown in there, they double teamed him. Sometimes triple teamed him. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's where I see it anyway. Uh, Zach does a good job of getting the ball out of his hands. As long as Purdue will throw it back into him, Purdue's in pretty good shape most of the time. Kenny's Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Rob, all of a sudden you just look at this week, and I remember saying on the show yesterday that at the time, I think Purdue had one ranked opponent until like March maybe. Um, I think Ohio State might have yeah. cracked the top 25, but those polls were, weren't out yet. And now I'm yeah. looking at the schedule, I'm like, wait a minute, four of the next five are on the road. This Big Ten looks to me like, I don't know if it's super top-heavy this year. I mean, certainly Purdue's a very, very good team. But, you know, you don't have a ton of ranked teams. But I don't know if you got a lot of basement dwellers either. I'm sure I say this every year in early January about the Big Ten. But it just seems like this is a year that four or five losses is probably going to be the Big Ten champ. Yeah, and it's kind of always been, and, and you guys know this, Kevin, you guys, you followed it long enough. It's normally normally what's been the case, at least since we've gone to the 20-game schedule. If you win all of your home games and you can get half the road games, you're 15-5 and five and you're always right there in the hunt. Uh, you're, you're at least into, you're right there until the last weekend. Definitely. Now, you, might not win it, you might not win it, but you're in the conversation in the final weekend. That's what stinks so much about losing last night because you've lost a home game. Uh, same thing happened to Purdue last year. You know, Purdue does not win the Big Ten. Uh, they move, they, they they did not win the Big Ten by one game. They were finished one game out of, out of a tie for first. Well, if you go back to early January, what happened? Purdue lost a home game to Wisconsin. You would love to have that game back because if you, have, if you win that game, you're a Big Ten champion. <laughs> so you hope the same thing doesn't happen this year. But, yes, uh, you, you just said it. Five losses, you're going to be right in the conversation at the end of the season. I just don't see it, and, and even with Purdue. And, obviously, I love Purdue. I work for Purdue. Uh, they're number one in the country. They started the season 13-0. But but did I think Purdue is about to just run roughshod over the Big Ten and go 20-0? No way. Uh, I still believe that the winner of this league is probably a five-loss team just because of the things that you were talking about. So uh, that's what stings so much about losing a home game. And, and, and to your earlier point to start this, this conversation here, um, yeah, this is a tough week for Purdue, especially to start the week with a loss because you're playing three games in six days. Uh, and the one home game you had on the schedule – uh, you just gave that one away. So now you're going to Ohio State, who, who has moved into the top 25. Then you have that neutral site game in Philadelphia against Penn State at the Palestra uh, on Sunday. Uh, so, this, yeah, this a, a, a difficult week for Purdue. Just got a whole lot more difficult with that loss last night. Rob, is there any chance – Rob Blackman's our guest. He's the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Is there any chance that Purdue benefits from the ghost of St. Peter's? And by that I mean – you know, a year ago, so much expectation and promise, and they were so good, really. And then they get beat by a team that, that you know, played hard and came together at the right time, whatever. This year's team, to go from unranked to number one and to have all of that praise and to get some really significant early season wins, can they benefit, do you think, or is it mentioned at all about the fact of, listen, you got to mind your P's and Q's every single game out because look what can happen. Uh, it, it is mentioned. The only concern there, Jake, is that most of this team has no idea what you're talking about because they weren't around for that game. Right. Last year. Yeah. Some of the some of the uh, younger guys for sure. Right. 
I mean, it, it, Purdue has 14 guys on the, on the roster, uh, seven of which are either freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Uh, now, not all of those guys play, like Will Berg, uh, Cam Heidi, are redshirting uh, this year. But my point being, 14 guys on a roster, seven of them freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So a lot of these guys weren't even around last year, and you can talk to your blue in the face about St. Peter's. It doesn't mean anything to them. They weren't there. They weren't a part of it. They don't know what you're talking about. Sure, they watched it on TV, uh, but it's not going to hit home with them. But if the veteran leadership, the few guys that Purdue does have that were playing in that game last year and weren't part of that team, uh, sure, if, if they can get that message across to the younger guys, it, yes, it can be a difference maker. Um, but again, I, I think what's best for this team is probably in, a lo- in the long run what happened last night uh, for guys uh, like uh, like Trey Kaufman, Wren, uh, like Braden Smith, like Fletcher Lawyer, the guys who didn't play last year, uh, to see what Big Ten basketball is really all about. Because last night was a Big Ten game. That was a bruiser. Uh, that was a uh, has assistant coach Paul Lusk said to us on our pregame show. Uh, you know, you're at the portion of the schedule now where basketball is not a uh, is not a contact sport; it's a collision sport, and that was a collision game last night. Uh, so, if if the young guys can, you know, grasp just how physical the game is now that the Big Ten season is in full swing, then then Purdue's going to have a chance to 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 be there in the end. My apologies for asking this, Rob. Maybe I should have known. For what reason was the Penn State game moved to yeah, I was the Palestra? About that too, and yeah. that's a super cool gem, man. I'm I'm envious of you. The only reason I say it for those that are unfamiliar, the Palestra is a historic gem on the University of Pennsylvania campus. It's where the the really 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 famous Philadelphia high school championships are held like for the Catholic schools of Philadelphia Kobe Bryant's one of those that has a scoring record in it but it's not very big I mean it's like the Hoosier gym on steroids so why was the game moved there well uh so this this is my understanding and I do believe this is correct uh but if you remember a couple years ago uh Iowa played there against Penn State because Fran McCaffrey is a graduate of Penn. He went to Penn, graduated from Penn, and so they thought that would be kind of a nice tip of the cap to let him coach uh, in the same gym that he played. Now, to make that happen, Penn State had to give up a home game, but uh, they were willing to do that and did. So I don't know whose idea it was, whether it was Purdue's or Penn State's, but because of Micah Shrewsbury's uh, relationship with Coach Painter, obviously they're, they're not only long-time coaching uh, compadres, but they're good friends as well. Uh, Mike, a longtime assistant at Purdue, um, one of the two came up with the idea, hey, would you mind giving up another home game, uh, Penn, uh, you being Penn State, and playing us in the Palestra? We think that'd be pretty cool. And uh, again, I don't know who initiated the conversation, but obviously the other one said, absolutely, let's do it. So that really, what it really comes down to is the fact that Coach Shrewsbury and Coach Painter are very good friends, <laughs> and uh, they both thought it'd be a pretty cool idea. Again, to be fair to Penn State, a tip of the cap to them because they're giving up a home game to do this. This should be their home game, uh, but they're giving up a home game to play us there. Okay, it'll be at Ohio State on Thursday, and as we just mentioned there, Penn State with Micah Shrewsbury, the former Matt Painter assistant, on a neutral, and put that in quotes, floor coming up here on Sunday. Rob, thank you for the time, man. Okay, guys, thank you. That's Rob Blackman right there on the Payless Slickers hotline. Indiana back in action at Iowa. Has Indiana ever played at at Iowa not at 9 o'clock on a Thursday? No kidding, man. No kidding. For the 37th year in a row, it'll be at Iowa. And Fran McCaffrey will be teed up within the first 10 minutes of the game. <laughs>
And some guy for Iowa that's we'll been there for 17 for years will have 37. Yep. Yeah, I remember Matt Gatons. That was my senior year at Iowa. I was at that game in 2012. Uh, they beat the Hoosiers there. I did see last night Mike Woodson on his radio show, a change in the starting lineup. Tamar Bates in, Trey Galloway out. I assume a little bit more of a instant offense is the uh, thought process there. Again, Jalen Huchifino going to run the point until Xavier Johnson gets back. But yeah, Tamar Bates into the starting lineup there alongside Miller Cop, Race Thompson, and Trace Jackson Davis. If you had to pick, if for every team in the Big Ten, if you had to pick your all dislike roster, Iowa's got a really <laughs> deep team, don't they? Yeah. Ohio I, State does, too. Well, I would think that Chris Kramer would get some votes from opponents no with question. how he played the game. One of my favorite Twitter threads I've ever done was when Indiana and Purdue have played each other, I've asked the question of, give me, if you're an IU or Purdue fan, give me the player from the other school that you have to admit you always kind of liked. Oh, I like that. And it's... Robbie Hummel gets a lot of votes from IU fans. Calvert Chaney gets a lot of votes from Purdue fans. Well, Braden Smith will be that way for IU fans here at the end of his career. Probably, yeah. They'll be like, wait, that could have been a Hamilton County Tom Coverdale for us? That's exactly right. You know? I mean, Chris Kingsbury at Iowa. Um, Jess Settles at Iowa. I feel like from... Uh, Jeff Moe. Notre Dame basketball heritage. Luke Herringote had that effect in his Big East days. (laughs) So did Troy Murphy. I'll never forget, I went to a game, Notre Dame at Louisville at uh, Freedom Hall. Do you remember Jack Cooley right after Herringote? I do. And they kind of looked alike. And Herringote was not playing in the game due to injury. And I'll never forget, we're in the top row of Freedom Hall. So imagine the people you're around in the top row of Freedom Hall. And these two next to us, diehard Louisville fans, C-A-R-D-S, every single minute of the game, they're yelling out. They get into a verbal altercation because one friend said Heron Goaty wasn't playing and he thought Jack Cooley was Heron Goaty. <laughs> I thought you said Luke Heron Goaty wasn't playing. I thought, yeah, who is that guy Let down guess, there? Alcohol might have been a factor. Uh, at, at Freedom Hall, I would say that is a very true statement uh pop quiz coming up in less than 10 mark dykton another pair of ball state tickets coming up yep tickets to the game on friday against akron so you get a pair of tickets just for playing and if you go five for five you get the jiffy lube oil change so two three nine ten seventy nice we'll get back into the pop quiz action here um and let's lead off jake the morning check down with the demar hamlin update the morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. In the latest, around 1.40 a.m. last night, sent out from the Buffalo Bills, and I quote here with their statement, DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition and after we talked to somebody in an icu unit earlier this morning you know what we can tell you is that cpr obviously is used to continue to move blood through the body to get it to the tissues and muscles where it needs to go albeit probably at a a lesser level but still um, something is better than nothing and then cardiac arrest meaning that his heart did cease operation and then or working and then i would assume it was a an aes defibrillator that got his heart rate going again and he has been intubated meaning a tube for breathing purposes has been placed upon him and he would be um 
essentially sedated, medically speaking, while they can monitor, certainly neurologically in other areas, um, what his condition will be. So we hope for the best for DeMar Hamlin. Yeah, and throughout the show, we've shared some DeMar Hamlin stories. We'll continue to do that here as we round things out. Uh, last night over Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Jake, it was the Pacers 122-114. The bench unit outstanding. Really, the starter struggled. Uh, both to start the game and out of halftime. But Benedict Matherin with 21 off the bench. TJ McConnell, 15. Jalen Smith, a double-double there, 11-11. That is a 4-0 homestand for Indiana. And as Max heads to daycare today for the first time in his life, we are one step closer, Jake, to Ivy League. Daycare for the first time today, huh? Daycare. Mom's back to work. Big day. So thinking about mom today, Maddie Bowen, and uh, Max Bowen off to daycare. Rutgers last night, college basketball 65-64 over number one Purdue. The Boilermakers now 13-1. It was Wright State over IUPUI 82-58. Tonight's schedule of games, Notre Dame at Boston College. That's a 7 o'clock tip. And you're coming over, you said, 645? That's right. Yeah, I got to pay You're enthusiastic, but every time a game is played, you're like, fire Mike Bray! I can't (laughs) figure you out. Have you ever heard of fandom, Mark? Man, you swing... All, all crazily. You got to get back on track. And if you can't get back on track at home with Boston College, then fire Mike Brett. Ball State <laughs> with a five-game win streak going into Toledo. The Rockets have won two in a row. They are five and zero. Oh. Uh, the Colts will start Sam Ellinger on Sunday. So Jake, if I have this correctly, that will be what three starts for Ellinger this year? Two for Nick Foles. So that would be five. How many games do they play now? Seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Matt Ryan with 12 starts, Sam Ellinger with three, Nick Foles with two. Um, Scotty, I know we just, Scotty just walked in on the pop quiz. Jake, you had the tweet uh, a few weeks back, right, on the Colts in the years they've started three quarterbacks? Yeah. How many times have they started three quarterbacks in each of them multiple games? Boy, that's that's a good one. Not many, because oftentimes those three quarterbacks, it's a guy like a Blair Keel that got like one start or... Because 2015, that was that the last time that they did this? Yeah, I think Josh Freeman got... Did he get one or two? I'm trying to think. Was it Charlie Whitehurst? He might have gotten one. When was Ryan Lindley? Well, they ended the season with Freeman starting and then Lindley coming in for the two-minute package. So they might have had four that year, right? Yeah. But again, multiple games. That's yeah. when you know the season has not gone well. <laughs> that is correct. And I guess really only... I, I guess Foles due to injury. I mean, Ryan... I mean, that was a benching there. Um, Mark, 49ers you, seem to be the outlier where they can start multiple quarterbacks and they're just like, don't miss but anything. Do they fit that? Mold? How many games did Trey Lance start this year? I think he only started the one, but okay. still, I mean, they, they sure. kept the rig on the road somehow. Do, great line there. Um, do you mind playing the Jeff Saturday audio sure. on the Kayvon Thibodeau hit? We haven't played this yet today. This was Saturday yesterday. I hope the audio includes not only the Thibodeau comment, the Thibodeau comment but also... Um, what Saturday's thoughts were on this offensive line reaction. Here was Jeff Saturday yesterday. Yeah, tasteless uh, from the from the celebration afterwards. Just you know, trash. Not a fan of it at all. Yeah, disappointed uh, from 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 the O line perspective or and for teammates in general. We protect our own man. We I mean, y'all know me, man. I've, I've been here a long time. So, so there you go. tasteless. Is that what he said? Yeah, not a long statement, but I think he said exactly. He, he told us how he was feeling. Again, right. disgusted by Thibodeau's celebration and then disappointed in the offensive line. I, Jake, I don't know if I'm like nitpicking a little bit, but you know, should there have been a point in the game where someone almost approaches Saturday or at halftime been like, hey, did you see this? Should, should our offensive line 
retaliate in any way? Is that is that a little too harsh? No, I think you know you made a good point earlier in the fact that maybe yesterday is an example of like there's just you don't know in the moment what people are thinking, right? I, I thought it was a bad look that they seemingly just like disregarded Nick Foles' concern or yep. the concern for him. You know what I mean? Obviously, I'm watching that game on TV and they they panned the Thibodeau celebration. And I am staring at Nick Foles. Now, he's not in the predominant part of the picture. He's just in a little bit of the picture. But his body was convulsing on the feet. It was a very yes. just awful It was disturbing. Look. It right. was very mm-hmm. disturbing. And so, again, I, maybe I'm, whatever, carrying Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly's water. But I found myself in a bit of a state of shock watching what was happening to Nick Foles. I think maybe that's how the offensive linemen were looking at their quarterback. And Thibodeau doubled down too because on the sidelines and granted the offensive line probably didn't see this part but it is like a go to sleep right. motion while Foles is being checked on by medical personnel. And you know to be up to date on celebrations and sports and what they mean probably is a game that even I'm too old to play but I believe that is like kind of a popular Steph Curry thing. Yeah. Like I don't think mm-hmm. that was in reference to I've just sent Nick Foles out of the game. No. But it was an odd look considering sure. the situation. Sure, sure. Um, I don't believe we've had... Have we seen any apology from Kayvon Thibodeau at all? Nope. don't think we've seen that. He just said that he wasn't aware of it. And it's like, yeah, okay. He almost like hit Nick Foles a few times celebrating. Yeah. Uh, one o'clock Sunday, Colts-Texans in the game of the year. One of the you know, biggest games in Lucas Oil Stadium history coming up on Sunday. Obviously, I say that in jest. All right, pop quiz time. 317-239-1070, as Mark Dykton said. A pair of tickets this Friday this Friday night, correct? Yep, against Akron. Tickets will be at Will Call. Cardinals and Zips from More Than Arena. Give us a call right now for the pop quiz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query, brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, Chirp Chirp, we're giving away a pair of Ball State tickets coming up this Friday. It's Ball State and Akron. I think they see nine and four starts so far this season for Michael Lewis. Good start to the year as Michael Lewis, first year head coach. Again, we'll continue to keep you updated on DeMar Hamlin's situation. And uh, so far, the last update we had is just before 2 a.m., him in critical condition, uh, cardiac arrest last night on the field. Um, and is trans- was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. His heartbeat was restored on the field. The Buffalo Bills did go home last night. So, again, I know it's not the most important news of the day by any means, but basically any thought to this game being resumed today is no chance. Yeah, I mean... And just cancel it, frankly, but... For anybody out there curious about, oh, will they play the game on Tuesday? Buffalo's not even in the city anymore. The Bills are not in the city anymore, I should say. Did did anybody stay back? I know that Stephon Diggs had gone to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any reports on any players staying back. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I did not see that. I, Diggs was reported, I think, by ESPN, like he took an Uber from the stadium That's right. to the hospital there. and um, Very emotional. The other player... Hey, hey. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention the name Dane Jackson, defensive back, and you know maybe we can play that audio mark to round out the show. But um, do you remember earlier in the year, Jake, he was stretchered off 
and I, I think taken to a hospital and was released and has actually returned to action this season. Him and DeMar Hamlin very close, and he was a player last night that just couldn't go anywhere near right. the scene midfield. Extremely emotional watching I not thought, only Bills players, but the Bengals players and, and, and T. Higgins, the one that, again, didn't administer the hit necessarily, but the one that DeMar Hamlin was trying to tackle. I thought that, and I think you would like to think this is true, in any NFL city or any American city, just based on what you would hope is the human spirit. Hopefully, we don't have to test it again. But I thought the organization and the officials and the fans of the Cincinnati Bengals handled that situation um, as well as can be expected in for what is an unprecedented situation just the compassion with which they handled everything and the organization with which they handled it went about as well as as you can expect in an extremely adverse and unexpected circumstance. You know, a a scene that I see quite frequently in NFL games, and it's, I don't know if touching is the right word, but I'm always like, man, that is cool to see. When you have a player from an opposing team get hit near the other team's sideline, Maybe it spills into the bench or it's very near the sideline. It can be a pretty chaotic scene. You can have players celebrating over that player. What you always see, Jake, is a medical member or two of the opposite team scurrying over to the other team's player just to make sure that player is okay. And in that moment last night, considering Buffalo was the visiting team, the Cincinnati medical staff played a massive role. In locating things, knowing where the emergency services are, um, all of that to make sure that DeMar Hamlin was in the best care possible and could be transferred to the trauma center um, as safely and quickly as they did. Uh, Pop quiz time, by the way. As you'd mentioned, Ball State tickets and as well, a Jiffy Lube oil change. Mark, do we have callers lined up? Yes, we do. Kevin, would you like to pick the number? Yeah, let's go with, it is January 3rd. Let's go with three. Ryan. Ryan, what's up? Hey, what's up? Not a lot. Hey, you doing all right doing? this morning? Yeah, yeah, doing good. How about you? Uh, okay, are you now are you back at work, Ryan, for the first time today, or have you been back since the holidays? Uh, I came back yesterday. Okay, how, how, how'd that go? Uh, I mean, traffic coming in work was great. Yeah, breeze, <laughs> right? As long as you could elude the fog. What line of work uh, yeah. are you in, Ryan? I'm sorry? What line of work are you in? I'm in retail. Okay. Um, anything that we would purchase? Yeah, floors, man. Come buy some. Floors, your home. Floors, okay. Okay, interesting, um, yeah. What, what's what's my, the most popular kind of floor? Linoleum, uh, hardwood, vinyl? Vinyl, quick lock, 100% waterproof. Well, what you need. I might need that. My daughter's currently potty training, and oh, we boy. have had some things, uh, let's <laughs> okay. just say, drop All on right. the floor okay. lately, so okay. I might give you... What? Thank you. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Nothing. I'm just talking about business with Ryan. Okay. A lot of business. Ryan, you glad you called in, are you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, business, winning Ball State tickets, what could be better? Uh, Ryan, Happy New Year, right, Ryan? Exactly. What was the last school you attended, Ryan? Purdue University. Oh, Purdue University. Ryan. Well, sorry about last night. Ryan, I, I do have this question. Brutal. And the bowl game. Yeah, so. I, I do have this question. Did you care about the bowl game at all? Uh, absolutely, man. I mean, it's, you know, boiler up. It hurt. Yeah, you know, but with all the opt-outs, kind of, kind of be expected. Yeah, yeah. sixty-three to seven is ugly, no matter how you slice it. 
I'm right. trying to see the bright side. All right, Ryan, here we go. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with question number one, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off today? Let's go with Kevin. Maybe I'll get to sell him some floors along the way. Yeah, I love it. I got a brother, Ryan, so you're going you're gonna to get some hints here. Uh, the Colts enter Sunday's finale with the Texans, a 4-11-1 record for the Colts. When was the last time the Colts lost 12 games in a season? 2019, 2017, 2011, or 2001? Uh, 2011. Jacoby Bursett was the quarterback on this team. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. should uh, say Scott Tolzien started the first game. Uh, that's, uh, 17. Okay. Question number two. Bobby O'Karake recorded a record-high 17 tackles in the Colts' loss to the Giants on Sunday. Who holds the Colts' record for most tackles in a game? We actually just got done talking about his... Uh, college, for that matter. Is it Okereke, Shaquille Leonard, Pat Angerer, or Cavell Connor? Uh, Angerer. Okay. Scotty, Zaire Franklin, does he have the franchise record in tackles yet? I knew he was nearing it. Yeah, he might be. He's like two away. Is it just two? Um, gosh, boy, Ryan can do my job here. Okay, number three, top-ranked Purdue fell again to Rutgers last night, as Ryan needs no reminder of that. 13-1 now in the season. It's the second straight season that the Scarlet Knights handed the Boilers their first loss of the season. Who was the first team to knock off Purdue back in the 2020-2021 season? Clemson, Miami, Iowa, or Rutgers? Uh... Rutgers. Boy, I have no Maybe. recollection of that game. I don't either. Are you sure, Ryan? Uh, I've been on this campus a lot. Maybe it was Clemson. Okay. That is a big hint from Jay Quarry. Question number four. On this day in 1971, the Baltimore Colts won the first ever AFC Championship game, defeating the Oakland Raiders 27-17 at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Name the Colts player who scored the final touchdown of the game on a 68-yard pass from Johnny Unitas and then probably gave pies to everybody afterwards. Was it Roy Jefferson, Ray Perkins, Eddie Hinton, or Norm Boulash? I think it was Perkins. Goodness, these hints. Our boy Dykton was just going to jump through the window there. All right, Ryan, number five. Fifty years ago today, the New York Yankees were purchased by a syndicate headed by George Steinbrenner. Name the corporation who sold the Yankees to the Steinbrenner Group. General Electric, NBC, Westinghouse, or CBS? Hmm. What NBC? All right. Big by Mark there to turn off Jake's mic. I appreciate (laughs) that for the integrity of the quiz. Ryan, outstanding here. Let's see how he did. Exactly. The last time the Colts lost 12 games in a season, Jake? Uh, that was 2017-12. Pat Anger, 21 tackles that against Pittsburgh on September 25th of 2011. The first team to knock off Purdue, not last year. It was Rutgers each of the last two years, but you go back to that COVID year, it would have been, or it was, the Clemson Tigers. Yeah. Brad Brunell's team. Uh, Ray Perkins was correct for question uh, number see. four. Yeah, great, though. Did you know five? I did not. Corporation who sold the Yankees to the Steinbrenner Group. Ryan went with NBC. They went with the one where the price is right. CBS. That's pretty good. You blew it! <laughs> Do you like that? You don't get to come back tomorrow. 
you don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. <laughs> I smell like an egg salad sandwich, but it really, really works. I haven't heard that one in 2023 yet, so why not? That's a fellow that puts mayo in his hair mm-hmm. as a conditioner, yeah. right? Thank you, Mark Dykton, for that. I forgot to share with you guys, the um, uh, the first day we were down in Florida was really crummy weather. Uh, again, all things considered, it was still like 50 degrees, but overcast and rainy. Probably like this out, right? Yeah, seriously. And what did we do? We just we just watched The Price is Right. And I God, can't tell you the last time, Jake, I've watched The Price is Right. I, you want to talk listen. about a unifying television show? All parties, all ages, all sexes, we all were locked into it, and we had a great time. Uh, here's the thing. I absolutely loved The Price is Right as a kid. The summertime, it was awesome. And I like this guy as a stand-up comic and as a personality, but Drew Carey to me is so flat on that show. Really? Yeah, it just is. Who so would you like, like to see in the saddle there? I don't know. Well, I mean, Bob Barker, but he's ninety-nine. I, I don't know. That's a good question, but like, it just seems like Drew Carey just goes through the motions on it. I don't know. The energy level from the contestants, I just love. Oh, I mean, I'm like, are they actors? But they're not. Are they back to like full audience, or is oh, it back yeah, to full. the whole? Th- no, it was full. It was so it was rocking. normal. Oh yeah, environment okay. was. I mean, I've seen the ones like sounded the COVID like Mackie ones the where they half. had everybody split, and then you like everybody's eight feet apart and it, it just wasn't the same no it looked pretty normal to me have you seen the one where the guy got the showcase showdown exact what was it? He broke no but this guy got both of them he was going nuts. that's huge yeah no Sharif there was, was there's one guy that got it to the dollar Gosh. and they stopped it for like 45 minutes to figure out what to do and then they came back and drew carey literally is like okay you know sorry we, we just you know the you bid nineteen thousand four hundred forty dollars and never had this happen before. The actual retail price nineteen thousand four hundred forty. You win both showcases and just walked off. I'm like, what? Yeah, you can't have that. Like I, he knew. Well, I I think they like investigated the dude for being shady. Ooh, I'd love to hear. I I love there the was documentary a guy that remember, on you know, Who Wants to Be a Million. You've seen the documentary yeah. on The Price Is Right, right? Where the guy memorized every single he watched for like ten years. Oh no, memorized I every single price and then kept going on the show and he never got picked. So he just started telling people, like like in line, like listen, yeah, I, I, I've memorized every price, and he catapulted like f- people to to win everything, and with the understanding they would like give him some some love, and nobody ever did, and so he got mad. He tried to sue him. That's an awesome story. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like that dedication What's should the best be rewarded. Game? What's the best game? Well, I have a soft spot for the golf game. It was played when we were watching it. Pen um, Seekers? Do they use Pen Seekers still? Pen Seekers is good. I like the little yodel Well, know. that's Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Oh, lady, oh, lady. You know, Plinko's oh, a classic. Lady, oh. yeah, I always like Plinko. Plinko's a classic. Um, yeah, yeah, just terrific games. I think Cliffhanger's the creme de la creme. Mm-hmm. That thing looks do you like... Know the, do you know the There Goes Fitzy story? No. Five second nutshell because I know we're up against it. One of the like 1970. One of the showcase. One of the Barker beauties had a boyfriend named I believe it was Fitzy, who or First Fritz, name? I think it was Fritzy last name, and he had gone like camping in like Sweden and went missing. Kid you not, and the girl had not told anybody about this terrible tragedy in her personal life. And the first time that they did the game, the game cliffhanger, the very first time ever when they introduced the game, the guy fell over the side, and Bob Barker just decided to name the little climber Fritzy and said, "Well, there goes Fritzy." Wow! And the, the woman broke out in tears and ran off the set. Oof. Boy, 
<laughs> not one of Bob's finer moments. Is that what you're saying there? <laughs> well, Bob might have actually had it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. who knows, right? Yeah, there's probably a lot of background you could do. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the old prices, right? Uh-huh. All right, we'll come back one final time. Where's Donahue at? Oh, there he is. That's right. Um, I, I would be remiss, by the way, if I did not mention also, because we focused a lot, understandably so, on the situation last night in Buffalo that also yesterday, um, and I think people in this area may be familiar with this individual, Ken Block, who was an American rally driver, notably ran in a number of different world rally competitions and was kind of one of those, almost like Tony Hawk on wheels would be the best way that I could describe it. I mean, an X game performer and um, snowboarder, I mean, you name it also was the original founder of DC Shoes, which is like a skating shoe line from the West Coast that I think most people are familiar with. Uh, after a, a long rally racing career that began back in 2005, uh, unfortunately yesterday was fatally injured in a snowboarding, or excuse me, um, snowmobiling accident uh, yesterday in Utah, as a matter of fact, is where that took place. That news came out. Uh, not too far removed from the situation in Cincinnati. He was 55 years old, uh, near his ranch in Woodland, Utah. He had been riding in the Mill Hollow area when his snowmobile upended on a steep slope, but then landed on top of him, fatally injuring him. So condolences to uh, the family and the fans and friends of Ken Block, many of those fans here in central Indiana. Yeah, I saw Chad mention that earlier, so I'm glad that <clears throat> you uh, stuck that in here, Jake. Again, we'll give you, get you the latest on DeMar Hamlin and the updates from him. I saw Alex in the YouTube chat mentioned that uh, the multiple games for starting quarterbacks for the Colts, uh, only three times in franchise history. Three QBs to start multiple games has only happened in 1984 and 2011. So 2011 would have been what? Kerry Collins for the first two, Painter for what? Probably a dozen, and then and then Orlovsky, Orlovsky for the final four or five. And for 84, it probably would have been Pagel, Schleister, Herman would be my guess. 2015, Josh Freeman only had that final start of the season um in regards to the situation with demar hamlin there is no new information from when we began the show which was that in fact he did suffer cardiac arrest in the game last night we will i'm sure at some point find out what exactly led to that whether it was the trauma to the chest or it's hard to imagine a predetermined condition with all of the scrutiny at you know from a health standpoint that players undergo but uh, he, You had talked about his teammate, who he is close with, who was carted off, correct, Kevin? Yeah, Dane Jackson earlier in the season um, was sent to the hospital, and um, I think it was a neck injury is what was diagnosed from it, and it's actually returned to action. He was playing last night. It was not one that I think they showed a whole lot, but it was one that you know, certainly wanted to be removed from the situation, just too emotional for him to see what was going on. 
Um, and, and that picture, Jake, I think, told you everything you needed to know just watching the players' reactions. I mean, Tredavious White crying and Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. And that, to me, I didn't need to hear any updates from Joe Buck or Troy Aikman. Obviously, how long he was on the field, but seeing the players and their reaction told you everything that you needed to know. When Jackson was hurt and ultimately returned to the playing field, Hamlin was asked about the realities of injury or removal from the game uh, and just the dangers of the game in general uh, once Jackson returned. And here's, this is Damar Hamlin. Like, I can't even describe it, but I, I cherish it every second that I can. You know, every second of every day. We just had our prayer, our, our DB prayer we do every Wednesday mm. outside. He was next to me, and I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder just because, you know, you never know when, like, the last day could be that you get in a experience something like this, you know. So I'm just I'm cherishing it every moment I can. Um, Almost haunting words, yeah. certainly. And um, the best of thoughts that the care that he is receiving, one, you know, obviously – with the American medical care, be getting the top care in the world. Uh, Hamlin was intubated, meaning that a, a breathing tube would have been placed within his passageway and then medically sedated. And as we had talked about earlier, while not knowing that specific case, the precedent or examples would be that that is done to then kind of cool the body down or calm down, if you will, both the neurological movement that is assessed as well as the cardiological movement to make sure that everything is is kind of getting back into a running order at the pace that the body would allow coming off of such a traumatic experience. <clears throat> but certainly, um, goes without saying, the hope is, is for uh, a recovery, and then if that is, God willing, granted, then a full recovery. I um, wanted to share again a few more DeMar Hamlin stories with you just about him as kind of a human. I uh, went to Pittsburgh, uh, grew up about 10 minutes away from campus. A big reason why he decided to stay home for college is A, he wanted to be close to his mom. Uh, his mom was 16, his dad was 17. When DeMar was born, that was a big reason why he wanted to stay close to home. Shows it over Penn State and Alabama. Very highly highly rated recruit coming out of Central Catholic in the Pittsburgh area. I think it was like the highest rated recruit in the state. And um, also want to be close to his little brother, who was much, much younger than him. I think wasn't even in elementary age when he went to Pittsburgh. That was a big reason why he wanted to stay home. I've been through a lot in his life. One of his best friends was shot to death um, in 2017. His dad spent three and a half years in prison. Um, Hamlin had a quote that really kind of struck me about that. Um, he said that seeing his dad taken away from him, a strip the imagination of a kid. Uh, Hamlin said this, that's when my outlook on life changed. I had to take reality for reality and couldn't be a kid anymore. It was just me and my mom now trying to survive. I had to grow up really fast. It instilled the toughness in me, that mental toughness. It built that work ethic in me. It's that time with not having my dad around. I had to be a man. It changed my life. Um, I think some people have seen it kind of going around today. Um, the Chasing M's Foundation Community Toy Drive. That was kind of a big philanthropic side to Hamlin off the field. His mom worked at a daycare in Pittsburgh, and he wanted to get some toys for the children there. Uh, the GoFundMe is now north of $3.6 um, wow. since that link started. 
late last night being shared around. So retweet it from my Twitter account for anybody that's looking um, for that. But by all accounts, just seems like a great individual and said it throughout the show. It's just guys playing on Monday Night Football. It's such a dream for so many of them, and can only imagine what his emotions were like pregame. His mom in the building, knowing he was going to probably play a lot, considering Cincinnati throws it a whole lot. Um, and yeah, I just cannot imagine those Bills players and Bengals players having to witness all of that. An unbelievable, unbelievable credit to the first responders to have your composure under that atmosphere environment and i thought the way both coaches handled it also extraordinarily well you know extraordinarily I mean, it, well it was handled really pretty well by everybody involved um and you know circumstances that you just never anticipate uh certainly didn't think this morning when we came in kevin that that would be the topic and um you know we hope that we're sharing better news tomorrow updates will come throughout the rest of today on these airwaves everybody have a great tuesday and we'll talk to you tomorrow right here on kevin and query 93.5 107.5 the fan